Mech Pilots Online Battletech Manuals Online Long-Term Memory Offline All Systems Bungled Initiating Bungletech Podcast In our 10th deployment of Bungletech, we are doing something extra special. I took some time recently to reach out to all active Battletech podcast content creators to chat. Yes, that's right. All Battletech podcast content creators. And I heard back from the vast majority of them. This episode is going to consist of sharing these interviews, interwoven with a little intellectually sensual treat from my spheroid co-host Michael. Due to the total length of these interviews, we will be taking a break from our other regular segments which will return in glory in episode 11 next month with a special surprise. Get ready mech warriors, this is going to be an inspirational engagement. But before I start, a quick note, in order to provide a reasonable scope for this endeavor, I reached out to content creators exclusively focused on Battletech in the podcast medium. This means I didn't touch base with a few well-known Battletech creators. Examples that come to mind, Big Red, Mechfrog, and Tex. Obviously these are amazing creators, and I just want to emphasize, I only didn't reach out to them because of the scope of this endeavor. A larger scope would have blown up my brain, and we already know, I gotta keep the few Steel Viper brain cells I have remaining in perfect genetically engineered working order. My brain cells aside, to ensure that all creators were interviewed equitably, I asked all creators the same core questions with a random bonus question thrown into the mix. Anywho, that aside, without further ado, in today's episode, I am privileged to chat with Battle Babes, Battle Pod, Battletopia Stories, the Calgary Battletech League, the Mech Bay, Mercenary Star of Mechs and Men on the Origins of Battle Mechs. Renegade HPG, Unicorn Company, The Valhalla Club, and Wolfnet. Time codes for each interview can be found in the podcast description. My Mech Warrior friends, let's get this deployment on the battlefield. Primary Objective Podcast Topic Segment Initiating Hi everyone, today I am joined with the amazing Travis from the Renegade HPG podcast. Travis, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Nate. Thanks for inviting me on. Dude, thank you for being here and for all you create for the Battletech community. I'm a big fan, not gonna lie. Big fan. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. You know, I gotta say, I don't listen to a ton of Battletech content just because time is short and there's so much out there. But I was able to listen to one of your most recent podcasts and really, really enjoyed it. You know, I think it was kind of right up my alley in terms of the things I enjoy listening to, kind of getting into the, the nuts and bolts of the rule set. Forgot the name of your guest, but yeah, I loved I love hearing how kind of the sausage is made, if you can't tell from my own podcasting. So <laughs> you guys are doing great work over there. It's good to be able to listen to somebody that's not myself, to listen to myself saying, you know, every, uh, every second sentence, even though I could have sworn... I finished the last podcast and didn't say it once, <laughs> but uh, thus is the nature of listening to yourself. Oh, I edit out the you knows and the uhs. That's why you don't hear them with us. 
I started that in my early podcasting and I just don't have 10 hours a day to, to edit, you know, so it's, uh, it had to, had to stay in there eventually. It's hell. It's hell. But anyhow, let's talk about your podcast. So you're obviously very established in the Battletech community. You've been around for a long time. How long has your podcast been active? So I want to say, I think it was June of 2020 that uh, I did my first episode. And kind of dove in, obviously, you know, while things were shut down and we were all locked in our houses, you know, I was able to be way more prolific with the podcast and things have slowed down recently as, you know, you go back to life and add more kids to the family. But, uh, but yeah, so mid 2020 was when it kind of kicked off. So three years then almost three years by a month. Oh, wow. It is three years. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. It's crazy <laughs> how time flies. Happy anniversary. Thank you. So your name, what's the story behind it? I've always been curious. Oh God, that's a fun question. I wish my memory was sharp as I'd like it to be, but uh, I can tell you it took me many, many, many weeks of kind of playing with ideas and, and kind of coming up with possible names. For me, branding is a really kind of important thing for me, both kind of just visual and text, because I, I hate kind of the, the in-person side of marketing, like the sales side, but I love kind of the branding side. And so uh, I, I've got like so many domain names of like cool brand names that I've just come up with and probably will never do anything with. But I just sat for weeks and weeks and weeks. There's probably like seven or eight weeks kind of going in and out of names. I wish I could remember some of the early drafts, but uh, I mean, the HBG really fit with the kind of broadcasting element of it. I really wanted to focus on just kind of getting information out and kind of exploring and communicating and talking to people. And so the HPG seemed natural and, uh, and kind of the renegade, it just seemed cool, like breaking from the mold and kind of doing my own thing. And so, so yeah, came renegade HPG. As soon as that one entered my head, I knew that was the one and, and my long weeks, long search of musing on it was over. <laughs> well, your voice print, I think is really good for the term renegade. You sort of sound like someone who drives a Harley or something like that. You know, you sound a little bit badass. <laughs> no Harleys. That's my dad. My dad actually founded one, uh, like a very large uh, bike club, fire and iron bike club for uh, firefighters. But uh, yeah, he's been riding Harleys all his life. I have never been on a Harley, but yeah, I, I've been told my voice works well for, uh, for podcasting. So I embrace that and kind of hope people enjoy it. Well, honestly, you don't need to ride a Harley with a voice like that. You ride a Harley to get a voice like that, good sir. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So your podcast is pretty unique. Like the, the topics you discuss, you probably get the biggest variety of industry guests. It's just amazing. So I'm really curious about this question. What does your podcast aim to bring to the community? It's pretty selfish in the sense of like, I just want to find things that I'm interested in and people that I want to talk to and share that with everybody else and share that conversation. Cause like, obviously if I'm having the conversation, I think these are awesome people to talk to and really interesting. And if all I got to do is kind of click the record and do a bit of editing for several hours to kind of share that same insight and experience with other people, I'm happy to do so. But in terms of kind of how I'm picking people, it's really just like when I see something interesting, something cool, like I just reach out to the person. I want to talk about it. I'm really interested in creativity and people's creativity and how things are made and kind of the struggles they go through to make it and the thought process. And, and, and so it's exciting to me to talk to people about that. And I really like the fact that there are other people that can enjoy that with me and kind of really learn about not only Battletech history, but just kind of connect with the creators and appreciate what kind of goes into, you know, this pretty awesome IP that we all kind of come to love. I think that your podcast really stands out in terms of some of the almost tangible deliverables it's brought into the community. For example, you remastered the Battletech cartoon. 
just huge. And I watched it on your channel before I knew about your podcast, funnily enough. <laughs> awesome. Yep. That you're running the Battletech TCG revival group. You're trying to bring that game back to life. That's obviously a huge effort organizing tournaments. Like I know how that can be. Definitely. And the Gallery 3025, right? Like you're managing that and that's all about bringing art to the community. It is, yeah. And it kind of began, it's just like, what are the things that I think will be fun? And can I share it with other people while I go? So yeah, the cartoon was a really fun thing to do. And I was not the instigator for that. Uh, and so Emil, who does the Art of Battletech Twitter, who uh, used that Twitter just to kind of celebrate Battletech art a lot in the same way that Gallery 3025 does. And he just was really on top of the early AI technology for using that to upscale things. And, you know, it's commonplace now, but three years ago, it definitely was not. And he had, you know, put a tweet out there that he was going to do that with a cartoon. And I kind of tried to look to see if he had a platform for uh, Art of Battletech, and he didn't. It turned out in retrospect that he did. It was just under a different name but i didn't know that at the time and i reached out and i was like hey i would be delighted to kind of host this for you because at least at that time i had built a moderate following it certainly wasn't what i had now i thought it'd be really cool to kind of collaborate and then yeah we just dove into that project and that was just a ton of fun it was a lot of work but it was lots of fun work and kind of published and then deleted and republished you know episodes a couple of times as we continually found better source files. If you upscale something that's total garbage, it just doesn't really work. And so there was a lot of work trying to track down good files to use. And then as we publish things, more people came out of the woodwork with better and better files. And so we would just replace them with the new ones as we got them. And certainly in terms of contribution community, it's certainly the most rewarding thing I've done. My, my favorite my favorite comment is when people to me and say, hey, look, I, I can watch this with my kids because the quality is enough that they'll focus on it. You know, as worked before, it definitely was not. And so, yeah, that was a ton of fun. Big props to Emil for doing that. And then later, uh, Chris and Tom, members of the community, helped me kind of do a second round of upscales about a year and a half later when we got a, a DVD of very high quality source files. So yeah, props to those guys and and they deserve so much credit as well. But that was a fun one. And yeah, there's been other ones. I mean, Macquarie Bulldogs with Bruins and being able to kind of help him get over the line with that, with funding that we drew. That was the first project for Gallery 3025, which his goal is just to kind of make cool things to share with the community and kind of bring community funds together i'm um, just kind of have a basic crowdfunded you know have a bunch of people given you know two bucks and if you get enough people given two bucks then you can actually do something with it so yeah that was a ton of fun but uh yeah there's there's cool stuff and like i said it's just you know, i do the things that i know interest me and kind of share them with everybody else because i figure there's got to be other people that share some of my interests so one thing that you sort of changed in in my life which is really freaking cool is specifically regarding the Battletech TCG, because, you know, I've tried to get my wife into Battletech mm -hmm. and she's like, you know, obviously it's, 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 it's Battletech, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's Battletech. <laughs> it's hard to get people into Battletech. We know this. Yeah. But on your podcast, you're like, oh yeah, you know, I introduced my wife to it and she enjoyed it. And so I'm like, I'm going to try the card game on my wife and dude, she friggin' enjoys it. I can't believe ah. it. I'm actually <laughs> playing the card game with her. Awesome. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. I always looked for something I can do with my wife because we're completely different. I'm sort of this nerdy white dude. She's this beautiful, elegant Persian. We're just different levels of class. I'm wearing like muscle shirts. She's in fancy flowing dresses. Awesome. I love it. So thank you for that gift, good sir. My pleasure.
because we're having a blast with it. Yeah, I mean, the card game was kind of like the impetus, the catalyst for the podcast, because uh, I mean, the first couple of podcasts were talking about the card game and uh, I'd come from a playing X-Wing was my big competitive game before then. And X-Wing has a lot of wonderful podcasts. And you know, some of my favorites were uh, you know, my last squadron podcast. And and there's another one, my, my memory's failing me now. But uh, but yeah, it helped me so much with my gameplay. And yeah, I picked up the game and I was like, oh, I want to do like a podcast like them and just kind of talk about strategy. And so, so yeah, so that's, that's great. So you already sort of talked about a little bit. I mean, I think it's evident what makes your podcast special or unique. But is there any specific highlight Anything else that, that you'd really like to emphasize that this is what makes Renegade HPG, Renegade HPG? Well, I think it's just, I mean, we want to kind of communicate and understand. So the goal of these conversations is to grant insight to the community and to get the community to support each other by understanding kind of what goes into things and understanding kind of, you know, who it is behind these products that they're creating. And, and yeah, and so, and that's, that's, that's what I, I mean, I'm a big fan of communication. I think it's certainly lacking in our, in our current kind of society and what's going on. And so if I can kind of contribute to that and just get people talking with each other and listening to each other, I think that's a big thing for me. And be curious. I think people aren't curious enough. I think there's, there's too much uh, kind of self-righteousness and not enough humility and curiosity. And so hopefully I can bring that with the podcast and just kind of, you know, I want to learn people's stories and, and kind of what inspires their passions because you know, everybody has a great story, especially if you get people talking about their passion, great way to get everybody to smile. And yeah, I think that really comes through, right? Your guests just reveal such insights. I've learned so much. Awesome. So many interesting tidbits about the Battletech universe and fiction. Can't even list them off. Obviously, you've been playing Battletech for a while. You've been ingrained in the universe. Is there a specific mm -hmm. bungle that really is significant to your mind? Like favorite, most interesting, most unique bungle that you've experienced in the Battletech universe? That could be in the gameplay. That could be in the politics of Battletech or however you want to interpret that. So define bungle a little bit more for me. Is it just like a, you know, goofy rule or an event that happened in a game or? It can be anything. It can be like a mistake. It can be dropping the ball. It can be forgetting a rule. It can be doing a rule wrong. It could be literally dropping the ball in any aspect. It was dropping something. I'll go to my first experience playing tabletop after like a 25 year hiatus or something like that. We're talking like probably 97 to 2020 or 2019 or something like that and i connected with someone that i didn't know in the area and we just kind of hooked up at a local game store and kind of set up the table and and i'm uh, i'm a very tactical mindset and so i'm kind of moving around the board and I, I just remember him just kind of charging my stalker with a bunch of mechs and just started kicking me <laughs> i failed every freaking <laughs> ps roll and it was the worst freaking experience <laughs> i was like i was like i was not kind of containing my frustration i wasn't like throwing anything but it was clear that i was like not having a good time with it and uh <laughs> and so so yeah and that uh that uh, <laughs> gave me a little appreciation for some of the kind of odder quirkier things that you can do in BattleTech, just if you want to kind of exploit some rules rather than actually kind of get some good thematic you know, war gaming action so that's in terms of standing out that that bungle certainly uh that stands out to me as a, as a <laughs> negative play experience but uh but yeah. yeah i think that stalker fell down well it fell down every turn until it died it never stood up and it, came, <laughs> it went into that first kick with full health and i'm like what is this medium mech going in close range to my stalker with and well, that was it yeah by the by the end it was basically just like i had gotten jumped there were like three mechs around me kicking me every turn it was no fun <laughs> i just visualize in my head the stalker this sort of 
chunky, strong looking, muscular mm -hmm. figure walking through the alley and three skinny Jenners <laughs> with bandanas <laughs> step out. Hey, what you doing in our neighborhood, yeah, punk? Yeah. Sorry, I don't want any trouble. Kick him in the shins. And this was uh this would have been before the redesign. <laughs> so it was still kind of like the standard leg docker with kind of the normal human knees. And which you look at it and you're like, that thing will never get up if it falls down. I don't even know how it's possible. So I guess in that sense it was thematic because yeah, it's just uh it wouldn't work. But uh, so maybe I I'm complaining erroneously. Maybe it was way more thematic than I gave it credit for that that stock would never never actually get up. <laughs> oh man. All right, I'm really curious about this, okay? Because your perspective is very unique, I think, in the Battletech podcast community, so I'm really, really hyped to ask you this question. But if you could place yourself in the Battletech universe, who would you be, what would you do, and where would you be? And why, my friend, why? Oh, I've thought about this. I would be exploring the deep periphery, uncharted worlds. Just the you know the chance to kind of go places no one has been. That's that would be so cool. I would even envision if I could somehow just kind of break away from the inner sphere, not even be like part of the Explorer core with Comstar, but just kind of somehow get my little group of people that are just like I'm done with this shit, all this war and stuff. Get a couple jump ships, get enough drop ships, get some people that just want to take a chance and start jumping into the unknown to, to see what's out there and find a new world. That's I think that you know if I could do something in Battletech, that would be it. Damn, I was really wondering if you were going to say, I want to be an elemental warrior. <laughs> I, was, I didn't think you would, but I was, I was curious if you're going there because I know you're a bit of an elemental fanboy. Oh, yeah, I, I could go on and on about elementals for sure. Yeah, being part of clan culture isn't necessarily the best, though, right? No, that would not be my first, my first choice to be part of clans. Yeah, let me grow old somewhere happily rather than, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's the possibility, man, the possibility of, of the place combined with the technology. Yeah, that's that's what excited me. But I, uh, it's funny, I, I originally went into college to study theoretical astrophysics because I was inspired by Battletech. Actually, I remember my AOL username was Kearney2020, Kearney being one of the creators of the Kearney Fushida jump drive in 2020 being the year they kind of had a breakthrough. So yeah, Battletech kind of inspired that. And then I ended up stepping away from that because I don't retain hard facts. And so by the time I got to quantum physics, I was like, I can't problem solve my way through this. I do actually have to kind of retain data to get through. But that was that was the start. And so, uh, yeah, Battletech had a huge influence on on young Travis. And yeah, that that idea of kind of space travel. Yeah, that's that's still there in me for sure. That's amazing. So, dude, this has been wonderful and it's been an honor. Good, sir. Thank you for this. Um, if people pleasure. don't know who you are which is unlikely if they're listening to my podcast and don't know about your podcast. But let's just say that one person out there, uh, how can they find you? Fortunately, I've managed to keep the uh, the tags consistent. Renegade HPG on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I think that's all of them. And then Helm Memory Core is kind of like the sister channel on YouTube where I kind of archive like old media. So that's why I ended up moving the cartoons and, and some of the old MechWarrior 2 soundtracks uh, to try to kind of restore those. So yeah. They can find me in, in those places. Rock on. And if you're one of those people out there that have yet to hear Renegade HPG or listen to any of their podcasts, I extremely recommend it. I also extremely recommend watching the Battletech cartoon because it is cheesy, amazing fun. I love it. And especially if you, I mean, if you've even seen an episode when you're young, man, it's just, oh. It's funny. I watched it when it came out. 
And they had such a weird schedule of, of playing it. And I hadn't seen half the episodes. And so when I was going through doing that remaster, half those episodes, I, I was watching for the first time uh, because I feel like they just played the first like five or six episodes over and over and over again. Yeah, that was the same with me. Like it was the first time I had a cohesive arc when I was watching it. I'm like, oh, there actually is a story. Interesting. Well, good sir. Thank you for your time today. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thanks for the invitation, and thanks for what you're doing too. It's uh, it's fun to be able to listen to somebody else uh, talk about the things I'm interested in. Heck yeah! All right, I'll see you on the BattleTech TCG table. Yes, you will. I'm Professor Michael, presenting more of the Sphere We Live In. The Whitworth Media Mech first hit the battlefield in 2610 but unfortunately developed a reputation for tearing its own legs off during aggressive maneuvering. Though you might still see some of these mechs on the battlefield today, those still standing have likely had their defective hip actuators replaced. Now you know about the sphere we live in. Hey everyone, we are back with, this is pretty exciting, from Germany, EK, from the Battle Pod podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today and answering some questions. Hi, thanks for the invitation. I'm pretty uh, excited. Excited is the right word. Heck yeah, we're both excited, man. Well, thank you for being here and feel free to throw in random German words if you want to just to confuse our listeners. I'm totally okay with that. I will do it. <laughs> so Battle Pod, how long has your podcast been active for? Our first episode was published on January the 7th, 2018 at 20 o'clock and 40 minutes. So that means you've been around for over five years. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Today I, uh, I looked for when our first episode was and I said, oh, it's a long time ago. Wow, you must be one of the oldest Battletech podcasts out there probably then. And I can say the biggest one in Germany. Also because we are the only one, but... <laughs> this is just so... This is so typical. Germans that have a longer history than North Americans. It's perfect. Ah, I don't know if America has not uh, a smaller uh, timeline because they are German, British, and uh, all the others. So it's the same history, only we have a little split up. But I think it's the same link. Spoken like a true Battletech brother. So what's the story behind the name of your podcast? No, I can say back in the day at uh, 2018, most podcasts was ended up in Germany with pod. And so I used a battle tag. Oh, what can I use? Oh, battle. Oh, battle pod. It's a good name. Back in the day, it was that people talk about podcasts. It's always a pod. So if we combine our podcast together... We would literally just become Battletech. Yeah, oh my god, we can create a new podcast with us working together called Battletech. Oh man. That's nice. Amazing. <laughs> so what does your podcast aim to bring to the community? So you say you're the biggest podcast in Germany for Battletech because you're the only podcast for Germany in Battletech, but you've been around for a really long time. I'd love to know what your focus is on bringing stuff to the community. My personal focus was I like the law of Battletech. And then back in the day, I talked to a, a friend of mine, a storyteller, is his name in the community, and um, he know everything about Battletech and the history. And I say, okay, I want to know more about the history. 
and then we say, okay, we will do it. And it was uh, our first episode. We talked about what we will do and a little about the first history. And then we get our third host, Hoshi. He's from Austria. He also know really, really much about the history. And our last host is uh, Onai. And it is really nice that we have him because before every episode, he will read the source books. So at first we take a little look at the timeline overall, just from the beginning to after the, uh, or to the Il Clan. We don't talk about Il Clan yet. But we will. And after we talked about just only for the history, what happens, then we have talked about the history of the houses. We have already talked about Steiner. We talked about um, the Marek. Marek was uh, not our loveliest history because every couple of years, some Marek leader killed another one or died in an accident. Yeah. So with many names, it was not the loveliest history podcast. But um, yeah, we liked it and we know more about Marek now. And um, also we talked about the Dragon House, uh, Kurita, my friends and co-hosts, they are also in a Battletech clan, the 36 Dyrant Regular, but uh, Kurita. And so that was our first, we want to talk about the history and bring the history to the community. And also um, I want to know more about the history because I'm not so deep in the history. And so that's also why I don't prepare very much because I can ask more dumb questions. And then over the time, we talked also about the MacWarrior Online, uh, MacWarrior 5, um, the Battletech Heartbreen Scheme game. And we will talk about everything that will happen. Um, not long ago, the German reseller of Battletech lost the license. And at the moment, we don't have a German reseller, so we only have the English products. And it's quite interesting what will follow after that. Interesting. So you're basically, everything on your podcast summarized is really focused on a historical view on Battletech. Be that in the lore or be that in the actual real world right now we live in, in terms of the actual games that exist or the production issues of the franchise. We talked about both because we don't want to talk only about the in-game history. And we all love Battletech and we all don't like the license uh, history and the actual <laughs> license. Also with computer games is here, MacWarrior Online got another license. Uh, they can't use the tabletop license minis and so on. And then with the I don't know the name, the, the, the baddie of the Battletech history who also go to court uh, uh, most times and don't make something with the, with his license. I don't know the, the name at the moment. Uh, Harmony Gold. Would be really nice if they say, okay, here you got the license and we make a good deal and we have more of the old uh, tabletop models. That was many in the Germany want to have the, the old ones where they grow up, but uh, we got new ones. They're also cool. So what makes your podcast unique? I think the history, just that we will talk about history from, I don't know, what's the first year I said 2030 or, or so was the first um, in the Battletech historians. And we go from there to, uh, yeah, to the Il Clan area. And 
sets are unique to history. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Nothing comes to mind about a podcast that specifically focuses on history. I know there's podcasts that focus on stories. There's podcasts that focus on the history specific of mechs. But there's nothing that really goes through the timeline like what you're sort of explaining. So that's pretty cool. All right. The question of the day, because our podcast is themed on making mistakes, I just have to ask this question to everybody. What is your favorite Battletech bungle? I've got two. One out game, you know, you have the small laser and the yeah. large laser. And in Germany, the translation to small laser was leichter laser. And the large laser is the schwere laser. So schwer is uh, for heavy and leicht is uh, for light, not heavy. When you talk about the smaller laser, SL is your large laser, LL. So it was uh, the same two, uh, two letters for different lasers. You talk about the large laser, we talk about the small laser. And that was my um, favorite Battletech bungle out game. And in-game, my personally, is that uh, Kerensky just leave and not rebuild everything or make it a democracy. So it would, then we don't have the many wars what are cool. But sometimes I think it would be nice if we first try it and then go away. That is so funny. That is like a hugely political statement. Because you're basically saying you're saying that the exodus was a bungle. <laughs> that's hilarious. I know many people would agree with you. I know many people would agree with you. But that's that's deep. That's deep, man. And I love the language translation bungle of the of the small laser. That's that's freaking cool. And so much stuff like that must happen. The German translation of the Max was there as well. So um I just don't know the the, the German words in the beginning because at the mo uh, the last translator, they used also the English names. But at the beginning, we just got different names. So we don't really know what you are talking about because our Mac got a really different name. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so there's we have the clan names. We have the inner sphere names in the West. And then in the East, there's going to be different clan name and inner sphere names. That's crazy. We got to do a podcast episode just dedicated to this. We're going to do it. Well, on the topic of mechs, what is the best mech? <laughs> And why? The best mech. For me personally, it's the catapult. I love LRMs. And I love the design of the catapult. I don't really know why, but it's the first mech is where I get my love to Battletech. It was the, the catapult, so I love them still. And also the second best is uh, the Steiner Scout Lance. Oh, God. <laughs> I was wondering if you'd bring that up. You had to represent Germany. So is there a specific variant of the catapult? It's just the base variant of the catapult that you think is the best? I like all of them. PPCs or LIMs. I love the LIMs more, but I like the PPC variant as well. So what I'm hearing from you is the catapult is the best mech because you like the catapult. Yes. And that's as fair as it can be, baby. Thank you for your honesty. And thank you for coming on to do this interview really quick. It was amazing. I definitely want to have a more detailed conversation in the future. For people that want to listen to you, where can they find you? 
just type in battle port and we will be on the first side of uh, Google at the other search engine. I'm also referenced as uh, Der Dicke Preuße. It's uh, the, the heavy Prussian, you could say. And um, it was my first main podcast and that's the uh, under podcast. It's my biggest podcast. Just type in uh, battle port and you can also type in uh, Der Dicke Preuße, but I think battle port will do it. Rock on. Thank you very much, good sir, for your time. Hope to make a new episode with you, your host, and uh, my co-host. I'm Professor Michael, presenting more of The Sphere We Live In. The massive naval autocannon 40 weighs as much as 150 spider-like mechs and must be assembled in null G. This behemoth can launch an 800-kilogram shell with such power that if you lined up 22 spiders in a row, it could core straight through all of them. A McKenna-class warship carries 12 naval AC-40s. Now you know about the sphere we live in. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I'm excited to be joined by the amazing Derek from On the Origins of Battle Mechs and Armor Up. Thank you for joining me, Derek. Oh, it's good to be here. I am truly graced by your presence, for you are a master of the Battletech podcast. You've been doing this for such a long time. How long have you guys been active? So the podcast itself has been active since, if I remember correctly, 2020. Because, yeah, because they, they went live while I was... Uh, when I just got stationed in Korea. So that would be 2020. And then I joined the podcast in 2021. Uh, I did an episode, the Victor episode, I actually was on as a guest host and then took over as a full host that next year. So in 2021, yep. And then from there, been with them ever since, so. Sweet, and how many episodes are you at again right now? Combined, I believe it's somewhere around 150, 160 episodes between the two podcasts that we do. 150 episodes. So if listeners, you're listening and you're looking for a Battletech podcast and for some reason you haven't heard of On the Origins, there you go. You have 150 episodes of content. It's pretty sick. So I have to know, what's the story behind your name for both podcasts? I know you mentioned that you're only a guest on Armor Up, but I know you say you can speak to it. So we'll apologize to Chandler in advance. <laughs> Chandler, Gomenasai. Thank you for letting us have Derek speak on your behalf on this episode, but what's the story behind the names? So on the origin, uh, the original, at least how I understand it, because again, I joined a little bit late. It was basically, how can we do a podcast where we look at the mechs themselves? Because you already got people like Wolfnet who do news, gaming coverage, that kind of thing. Same with Mech Bay and a couple of the other guys who were, were around at the time. So our, our goal was, well, there's people who do lore, there's people who do news and gaming, what about people that just solely focus on the battle mech side of things? We kind of took a little, from what I understand, we took a little bit of inspiration from the text talks videos, but we're like, hey, let's go even more in depth and just basically start from the Mackie and go all the way up. So we've been slowly working our way through that. I think right now we finally reached uh, just before the uh, the Ameris Civil War. So we've, uh, we're not even all the way there yet. We haven't even touched the clans, which I know all of us are pretty excited to get to eventually. And then... With armor up, what it was is well, we're talking the battle mechs. So let's talk. So Chandler and Brute, Mario, he's huge on tanks. Uh, if you've been in the Alpha Strike Wolfnet 350 scene, he's the guy who's tormented so many people with tank army lists. 
and Hell's Horses tank army lists at that. So they decided, hey, let's do, you know, another podcast that's focused solely on tanks. Tanks, VTOLs, that kind of stuff. The the unsung heroes of Battletech. The guys who, you know, are, are really in the trenches and aren't getting the glory like the mech does. Um, so they've basically adapted a similar... Um, a similar format going from the beginning. So I believe one of the first tanks they talked about was the Merkava from the one the Mackie stomped on during its first test trials and then have been working their way up. I was on two of the episodes, two of the beginning episodes. Uh, one, obviously, uh, focused on a Davian tank because I'm a, I'm a big Davian man. And then a, I think it was a Lyran tank because I just love the look of it and asked to be on it. And I just happened to be there while they were recording. So like, hey, we're doing a double header uh, recording session. You want to you wanna just jump in on this one too? And I was like, cool, I can do that. So, but yeah, no, our, our whole thing is basically treating it like an educational classroom where we're teaching you about the mech and just talking through it and just going down, hey, this is what we see on this mech. This is, these are kind of what we see as some of the, you know, downsides, some of the upsides, that kind of thing. So it's a lot of fun. On the topic of it being educational, is On the Origins of Battle Mechs, is that a play on Darwin's On the Origins of Species? Yes. If you actually look at our logo, it's like little, uh, the little, uh, what is it? It's that little like dog robot from a few years ago. And it just shows them getting bigger and bigger. I think it goes up to the Mackie and maybe an Atlas. I honestly, I have to look at the logo. But yeah, no, it is definitely a play on On the Origin of Species. So On the Origin of Battle Mechs. Very cool. Do we know about Armor Up? I feel like, I don't know, like uh, the, the what pops to mind is like power up or something like that. I think it just had to do with tanks being heavily armored, that kind of thing. It was just, hey, oh. let's see what we can um, we can do with that. We've also thrown around ideas for looking at aerospace as well and doing a separate show for that. But that's still kind of in the... I'd love to see that. Yeah, I'm a big aerotech fan. Uh, I just love the thought of aerospace and space combat. That's always been one of my driving factors in sci-fi. Mechs are great, but I like big things in orbit that you know throw nukes around like they're candy <laughs> we've definitely been looking at doing something like that so hopefully we'll see that in the future but it might be a while very cool so you sort of touched on it as well but is there a specific aim you have of what you want to bring to the community with your podcasts i think the biggest thing for us is highlighting the different mechs, different vehicles that are available because the universe is so expansive and you get like the games like MechWarrior 5, you know, the more recent stuff we'll go into is MechWarrior 5, MechWarrior Online, HBS Battletech, where it's solely focused on a small, you know, a small group of mechs, you know, the classics that you see from the, the 3025 era, at least in HBS Battletech and then MechWarrior 5, and then the highlights of the clan invasion with the classic Intersphere mechs and then the well-known classic uh, clan mechs. So, you know, th those are the ones that people see a lot of. I think some of the older games definitely did a better job of highlighting some of the uh, earlier mechs or some of the other mechs like the uh, the Templar and the Hoptman. I have fond memories of Mech Warrior uh, 4 mercenaries uh, rolling around in a decked out Hoptman and decked out Templar. I, I probably gained that. I think that's where I gained my love of House Davian was from that. Smiting the evil, evil uh, Steiners. Probably going to get some controversial comments for that, but eh, I'll deal with it. The best Steiners. Eh, you know. I'll give you the controversial <laughs> comment right here. Catherine Steiner's the best. Oh, well, you there know, Valerian's ruined the Fedcom. I'm just saying it right now. <laughs> we, we, it wasn't us who broke the Federated Commonwealth. It was you. We were all for it. But anyway. Who needs a Federated Commonwealth? We need a dictator to rule everything. You know, Catherine, she saw it. She had the vision and the compassion to push it through. Uh, yeah, compassion. Well, we'll call it that. Compassion with air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, I think the big aim is to just be able to highlight all the mechs that are out there. Like some of these mechs that I've seen, I would have never known about had we not been doing the show and researching things. Like I didn't know what a battle axe was for the longest time. I didn't know what a Ymir was or a um, an Icarus two. I mean, now I do, but. And the proliferation pack probably would have helped me, but it definitely sold me a bit more on the proliferation pack because I'm like, I know what all those mechs are, and that's cool. And, you know, getting my Davian battle axe in plastic was pretty awesome. So I think the biggest thing is just bringing people to be able to see how expansive the universe is and how many different mechs there are, as well as how many different variants there are. It's basically the sky's the limit with a lot of this stuff. Like, what do you Mm want to do and what do you want to have? Like, there is probably some sort of mech that you're going to look at and be like, I love that thing. Might not be great. It might be terrible, but, you know, you're going to love it nonetheless. Awesome. So once again, sort of, you know, we're touching on this. Is there anything that you think makes your podcast special or unique in the community? Obviously, your offering is very different, but is there anything outside the offering that you think makes you extra thumbs up? I mean, I think it's again, it just comes back to our format is a lot different where it's it's a very focused laser focused on, hey, we are talking about this Mac. I mean, that's not to say that we haven't had some inside jokes. Uh, we we did create a sticker for Gen Con that is and an emotional support laser because we jokingly refer to small <laughs> lasers, the random small lasers you keep finding on on mechs to be emotional support lasers. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. I think it's just kind of the classroom element to it, the very laser focused, hey, this is what we're talking about, and this is all we're talking about. And then the fact that we can get guest hosts from all over the community to just come on and talk passionately about why they love this thing. Why, you know, we had the Wolfnet guys on for the Marauder episode, because Andrew is a huge fan of the Marauder and just sat there and talked and talked about it because he loved it. That is his thing. And it's great to do that. We've had, you know, other people as well from across the community just come on and about their favorite mech and why it is their favorite you can really hear like the you know the enjoyment and passion of why they love this fictional piece of art and paper that you know they get to play with on a game board yeah i think that one thing that really sticks out to me about your guys podcast is how well researched it is like i think you're the most i know you said you have an academic focus but it definitely seems like from a lore perspective and a research perspective in general, it seems like your podcast goes deeper than anybody else's podcast, which I think is pretty impressive because you're always dropping those references. Yeah, drop those reference bombs. You want to challenge me, bro? I got a reference. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I think the thing is, is we also, some of what we look at the Battle Max Force, it's not necessarily what it does on the table. We look at it like how it would function in the universe too. A lot of the podcasts are solely focused on how would this mech do on the table? Why this mech doesn't work on the table? Mm-hmm. But then like we look at it and we're like, hey, you know, it might not translate to the table very well, but in a, I guess the best way to put it is realistic environment, even though a couple meters tall battle <laughs> mech is not very realistic, but you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's all for fun. I think it's the fact that we we look at it from that perspective and not just like, hey, this is the min-maxed way we would do it. It's more of like, well, I don't know why they would design it like that. Why would they do that? What What's the thought process? And, you know, kind of being able to talk that and explain, like, here's what we think the thought process is, or here's what we think this mech is best designed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a lot of people that will see a mech, take it onto the table, and then be like, this mech is terrible. And it's like, well, how'd you use it? Uh, well, I took this, you know... I took this Warhammer straight into a fight with a bunch of um, a bunch of assault mechs, like in a in a brawl, and it's like, well, it's got ERPPCs, my guy. It it should be sitting on a hill, way in the background, just tossing ERPPCs and and you know making itself scarce when somebody turns its way. Mm-hmm. And that's at least the take I've tried to do on this: is hey, how would this function in a unit? I think a lot of people also focus on because how BattleTech is 
the game itself is designed is you can take a bunch of random mechs, throw them on the table and go, let's go, let's have, let's have a great time. But I also think doesn't always highlight the mech. It, it sometimes degrades the mech and you get this opinion of, well, that battle axe is terrible because it doesn't have this or doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, well, is it the battle axe's fault or is it how you use the battle axe? <laughs> like, battle axe design is more of a fire support platform for a heavy lance or, a, or an assault lance where it's not really trying to get right next to you and punch you. It's it's trying to sit back a little ways and just be like, I'm happily throwing PPCs till you go away. And then my buddies make you go away. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think on the topic of you saying, you know, some things don't necessarily work on the tabletop. One thing that I've really found is that when people come at the game from that perspective, they also come at it from a certain rule-based perspective as well. As soon as you change the rule base, it changes viability. So there's so many variables. So I think looking at it from any perspective, you know, from within a certain rule base, from looking at it theoretical in a real-world scenario, like they all have value. I think it's about being open to that. All I was going to say is like in our latest episode uh, where we talked about the panther which got repetitive really quick because <laughs> it's like it's a panther it's a panther <laughs> with a large laser it's a new panther with a ppc with a slight change here but a lot of that we were looking at it and we kind of trying to make it interesting looked at it like well what era was it being built in so you got some of these panthers that are being designed post you know post clan invasion where you can tell the draconis combine is just trying to throw something quote unquote decent uh that they can mass produce at the clans which is you know slap this slap some newfangled tech onto this thing and throw it into the front lines good luck kids try not to get killed or you know die honorably for the dragon and take as many with you as you can you know however you want to look at it i guess <laughs> but then you get to jihad and you get to see some of those panther designs where like you can definitely tell that they are doing very much the similar you know newer tech but similar thought process of how can i mass produce a i think the blakists have a panther the basically our thought process on it when we were looking at it was it looked more like hey how can the blakists pump out panthers with new tech or new ish tech quote unquote you know air quotes toss that thing into the front lines with their protectorate troops because obviously i mean as if anybody's read the uh read you know some of the jihad source books they didn't really care about those protectorate troops too much. They kind of just threw them into the fire and, you know, maybe dropped a nuke on them occasionally because, eh, they're expendable. But, like, you could definitely tell with some of the designs where it was like, this is a cheap, mass-produced piece of equipment to throw into the grinder to try and, you know, grind down Stone's Coalition or whoever they were facing at the time, or just to equip their military. So it's kind of cool seeing that in the designs and looking at it from that perspective. You can kind of see, like, the era, and then why do you think during that era, like Jihad, a lot of the Jihad designs are all very similar. They are all very much just toss something together and throw it out the factory door because we just need something to go into the front line. It might not be great. The pilot's life expectancy might be very, very low. But, you know, uh, if they live, they live. If they die, they die. Kind of the uh, the Ivan Drago from uh, Rocky. If he dies, he dies. Is, I don't know if you play with the pilot cards ever, but in our games we do, and the Panther actually has the fist fire ability on one of his pilots. And the fist fire, that's terrifying in a Panther. I, I actually haven't played with any of the pilot cards, so that's interesting to know. I have to try and convince some of my local guys to, uh, to do that, just so I can bring a Panther and do that. Yeah, man, just a 1-6 chance to pop someone's head. <laughs> it's nasty. You don't get close to that thing, yeah. It's interesting. It's sort of cool, right? Because then it enforces his sniper rule. And as soon as people get too close, he's too slow really to run away, right? So then get in there, punch him in the face and teach him a lesson the, the hard way. 
and teach him why why he shouldn't have let you get that close. Exactly. All right, so I got to ask you, do you have a favorite Battletech bungle? There's been a couple, because I, I will admit I am actually fairly new to playing the tabletop. I came from the video game and novel side of things and have slowly been pulled deeper and deeper in, into the glorious abyss that is the the tabletop plastic side where I own way too much plastic now because of that. We, we won't talk about how many battalions of Davian guards I actually own at this point. <laughs> Three years and I've built up almost a regiment of guards. Yeah, I, I'm glad my wife's out of your shot for that one. Um, anyway, <laughs> but I think Battletech Bungle would be this weekend at Gen Con, actually. It, it was it was one of those bungles where I didn't realize what the rule said because we hadn't played with it. And I probably should have read the packet a little bit better because afterwards the Wolfnet guys kind of pointed out, like, it's in the packet, my guy. It says this. It's like, didn't didn't you read that? And I looked at them and I was like, uh, <laughs> it was non-standard infantry cover. So I, uh, I deployed myself in a manner that didn't really uh, help me and help my enemy just kind of swarm uh, swarm my poor, poor Masakari with so many back shots and alpha strike. And uh, he uh, kind of died a warrior's death because I didn't realize that non-standard infantry cover gives a plus three to the infantry hiding behind a vehicle. And then so it makes them very, very hard to hit. And it, uh, it, it didn't go well for me uh, just because I didn't know that or I, I didn't realize that because I failed to read the rules properly. So obviously I had a very, very interesting learning experience, but it was a lot of fun nonetheless. At least the Masakari pilot was probably happy to die. No, wait, getting killed by infantry? Dishonorable! No, he actually died to mechs, so mechs oh, there you go. was Perfect. blasting him down. Plus, I was playing uh, Waco Rangers, so, you know, winning isn't exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to kill everybody. Uh, do the most damage <laughs> as possible, because I was playing uh, Waco Rangers on uh, on Outreach for my list. So more Waco's horde than Rangers, but... um. It was a lot of fun. I was handing out Waco Ranger patches that I had custom made with uh, Death Dragoons written on them. So the, the Wolfnet guys were, were obviously very happy as they are huge Dragoons fans. They were all smiles, uh, smiles to see that. <laughs> but uh, I thought it was fun. So I, I got to play my, my Colonel Wayne Waco and, and his Rangers, and it, it was a blast. But learning non-standard infantry cover was a uh, was an interesting learning experience that I will probably introduce to my local community now that I know. Nice. Be like, here's here's this, and have people look at me in probably abject horror, feeling like, wait, what? <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, yeah. Now it's your time to learn. <laughs> You'll never forget this lesson. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> cool. All right. So now I have a question that. I need to know, because you are the person that can answer this. If anyone in the world can answer this question, it's you. And therefore, the pressure is on, good sir. What is the worst mech? Jaeger mech. <laughs> Jaeger mech. <laughs> no! <laughs> I know, it's, it's the quintessential Davian mech. And everybody cannot understand why I despise the Jaeger mech. Um, I'd rather have a rifleman. Plus, the rifleman just looks cooler. You don't like the Jaeger mech pot belly? No. To quote one of my one of my friends from Korea, who I taught to play, he he called it the uh, the assault Irby because that's <laughs> just what he thought when he was looking at the photos of Gen Con. He's like, "What what is this urban mech?" I'm like, "No, that's a Jaeger mech." He's like, "Assault urban mech." I was like, "Uh, <laughs> sure, why not?" <laughs> but I guess to justify it. It, it's one of those mechs where you look at it and in the lore how it's written is that it, it's supposed to be the replacement to the rifleman where it's like hey the rifleman had some i believe it was some heat issues but i feel like when they designed it 
in universe at least they tried to correct all the issues but like didn't improve it or made it worse kind of thing in other ways uh yes i know the Yegermech is renowned for its paper thin armor in some cases but so is the Yegermech. i just feel like the Yegermech in general is the worst version of the rifleman is basically somebody looked at the rifleman and was like this is good but we can make better and did not make better they just made <laughs> mediocre and then then it got sadly associated with my favorite faction and now everybody looks at me and's like you love the Yegermech, right i'm like no 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 i don't and and they get very sad Yegermech three on the other hand i'm down with that because it was redesigned for Davian Bride. I, I just think that every every version of the Yegermech I look at, it's got a couple that are decent, but nothing that really, like, I want to take this mech and throw it on the table and play with it. There's just nothing about it that speaks to me. And most mechs usually have one or two variants where I'm like, I, I want to try that. I think I could do something fun and crazy with it. But then I look at the Yegermech, and I just look at it with disdain and disappointment and be like, how how are you associated with my beloved Federated Sons? Like, go, <laughs> go back to your corner and, and think about what you've done. Okay, you are playing a classic Battletech game. And you get to start either with a Jägermech or a Rifleman that has already lost one arm. Who do you choose? The Rifleman. I'll take my chances. <laughs> okay. It's lost an arm. Both of its legs are only internals and it has a foot actuator damage. Rifleman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now it's the same mech. This is now a role-playing game. You have your personal character in this game. And the cockpit system, the ejection system on the Rifleman is faulty. And has a 50% chance to kill you on ejection. Rifleman or Jägermech? Rifleman. Oh my god! I will take my chances. That I, hatred I will is, roll those is real. <laughs> okay, well, you, you're committed, good sir. I can understand your statement. I've always thought Jägermech is funny because of the pot belly. <laughs> I just think the pot belly design is so hilarious. If you put a trucker hat on him, man, oh, it's perfect. <laughs> I think that's also where some of my some of my disdain for it is just the artwork where the Jägermech looks especially or not the Jägermech the Rifleman especially the new design the plastic model just makes it look crisp mm -hmm. but then like I got to see the one at Gen Con uh, this weekend and I just kind of looked at it and I was like you are still shame just walked <laughs> away and it's just like yeah I have no interest in you, you like someone trick me artist I think it was Chandler who was standing next to me. He's like, oh, look, it's the Jägermech. I was like, I don't care. And went and was like, oh, look, it's a Devastator. And was just like, that that interests me. Oh, it's a Caesar. And he's just like, but the Jägermech. And I'm like, no, 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 we don't care. It just, it, it can sit there and, <laughs> and wish that it had my attention. Have you guys done the Jägermech in episode on him yet? No, no, we haven't. We haven't gotten there yet. We're getting there, but not, not there just yet. Because we're at the Panther. So we'll be there shortly. Well, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on that episode in more detail. Let the <laughs> hatred flow. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, there will be a lot. There will probably be quite a bit. <laughs> so if people haven't heard about your podcast before, haven't listened to you yet, where can they find you to listen to you? You can find us on Apple. You can find us on Podbean. You can find us on YouTube. We're slowly but surely converting our entire uh, catalog over to YouTube been a passion project for brent but it's still it's just taking time because there is a lot of episodes and a lot of content to get through but yeah we're slowly but surely doing that so you basically any major podcast um service 
you can find us there. And so if they search on the Origins of Battle next, they'll also be able to find armor up in your channel. Or can they search armor up as well? Would it find? Uh, it might. I, I usually, if I'm going to search anything on the Origins, because we just post them jointly in the same channel, it just makes it easier for us to upload them with one account rather than multiple. And plus we edit them together and stuff like that. So it just kind of makes it easy. I know on Apple, it's set up so you can do season one, season two. Season one is all of on the origin. Season two is all of uh, our tonks and armor mm -hmm. up stuff. Sweet. Well, that's awesome. So thank you so much for being here today and humbling Bungle Tech by the masters being willing to appear on our show. So I really appreciate your time. And if anyone hasn't checked out on the Ordens Battle Max yet. It's really interesting, very academic in nature, very well researched and very fun. Just look in there and find your favorite mech. I started with the Locust, for example. I'm like, oh, I want to know about the Locust. And then sort of started picking it off from there. But yeah, really, really great content with uh, lots of unique perspectives in there. And make sure to check out the future Jaeger mech episode because that's going to be really good. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> Yeah, just like you said, I every time people talk to me about the podcast and listening to it, I, I always just find something you're interested in. You don't have to start from the beginning. Uh, some of my local guys did, and they're like slowly but surely working their way through. And it's like, you can just listen to what you want to listen to, and you don't have to do it, you know, one episode at a time. It's just whatever you want to listen to. We have no real like, hey, this is the order you should listen to the podcast. It's more along the lines of, hey, just pick an episode, listen to that. If you enjoy it, go find the next one that you want to listen to and just jump around. That's what I do with a lot of podcasts. And when I was, before I took on the hosting responsibilities, that's what I did is I'd see some episodes about some mechs where I'm just like, eh, I don't really care and jump on to the next one. But yeah, it's been a pleasure uh, getting to sit down and talk. Awesome, man. Well, I hopefully will talk with you soon. Thanks for your time, and thanks for making such great content. Thank you. I'm Professor Michael, presenting more of The Sphere We Live In. The world of Jeanette 3 is one of deep conflict for its citizens. With over 90% of the population identifying as Buddhist, most people enjoy the remote location for its peaceful atmosphere and distance from sphere affairs. It is also the home of the Jeanette Naval Yards, the single largest employer on the world, and which is responsible for producing the majority of submersible attack vessels fielded by the Draconis Combine. Now you know about the sphere we live in. Hello everybody, we are back and I'm super, super stoked because I am joined by Dustin from the Mech Bay podcast. Dustin, thank you for being here. Glad to be here. Glad to talk to the community at large. Battletech is, is big. It's spread out and all the way out to Canada and beyond. To Canada and beyond. Yeah, and I, I always enjoy hearing from other folks that are you know, creating content for the community to consume. So thanks for having me on. Well, funnily enough, I don't know if I've mentioned this to anyone in the Mech Bay yet, but the Ooh. Mech Bay is actually... One of my chief inspirations for creating this podcast. I had essentially three inspirations when I was creating Bungle Tech. And the Mech Bay okay. was a specific podcast that inspired me. I was like, oh my God, no I really kidding. like this content. I want to create my own content. I think one thing that I really liked about the Mech Bay was the the vibe. The vibe that you guys had okay. was like, oh, you know, this is a really good vibe. And I feel like I can bring a unique vibe to the podcast community as well. So so thank you for the inspiration, good sir. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm once again, honored and flattered. We were similarly inspired by Wolfnet. 
and a lot of other pocket like texts and many other people that were creating content. And I guess this, I, I took a peek at your questions you were going to ask, and maybe we could get into that because the origins of the podcast was something you were going to ask about. We wanted to cover, and, and by we, I mean mostly Josh, like, let me be clear. He started the McBay podcast and he had like set down the original guiding principles for the, which is an important thing. I think for any, any organization that's going to create anything is you look back and look upon your touchstone, your guiding principles and be like, what is it that we do or whatever? And, and what we wanted to do was kind of focus on the tabletop. Now, that was a while back. So as far as answering your question, where did the, the name come from, right? The McBay podcast. Mm -hmm. It has been a long time and I frankly don't, <laughs> don't really remember. So <laughs> I don't have a great answer for that. I remember we did a couple things around, but something with the, you know, a Mech Bay or the Mech Bay, I feel like that was very early on. And if memory serves, not iterated on too much, you know, we kind of threw a couple things around or, you know, is there going to be a space between Mech and Bay, which I continue to forget whether or not there is a space between Mech and Bay in the Mech Bay podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because like, I think, I think if you called it a Mech Bay podcast, it would almost undersell it a little bit. Right, right. Maybe you started out and you were just a Mech Bay podcast. Yeah, we were. But over the years, you've now become the Mech Bay podcast. I'm trying to remember what um, Josh throws it down every episode. It's part of his, um, we all have our scripts and stuff that we read off or whatever. But yeah, your number one source or something like that to improve your, your mech and your game. Oh, yeah, Something yeah, like yeah. Yeah. We help you fix your mech and your game. And your game. Yes. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where the mech bay came from. And it's like fixing, fixing the mech in, in, in the game. And yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's mostly where the name came from. So, nothing too crazy there. Nothing too, no big story, unfortunately, for the name of the podcast, at least for me. Well, that sort of goes into your mission statement, right? Like, what does your podcast aim to bring to the community? Yeah, we definitely want to share our experience with the the tactical tabletop, the playing of the game. There are, and I, I love them endlessly, but there are there is no shortage of other content creators who are covering the lore and the history and the mechs themselves, because we all love our stompy robots and all the variants of them. <laughs> you know, when I'm bored at work, I'll listen to people talk about their favorite mechs. And they're just other people doing that and doing it better than we would be doing it. So we wanted to, that's, that's the niche we thought we'd carve out for ourselves, or at least, you know, Josh thought we could carve out. Other people talk about playing the game, don't get me wrong, but talking almost specifically or, or centering the focus of the podcast around the tactics on the tabletop and discussing strategy and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So how long have you been doing the podcast for? Oh boy, uh, without pulling out the date of our first episode, I want to say we were pre-pandemic or just at the beginning of the pandemic when we thought it wasn't going to be a big deal. And so I, I think that's around late 2019 or early 2020 that we started up. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. I think like two or three-ish years from my understanding. Yeah, so we've been on it for quite a while now. I think we shoot for an episode every two weeks and we don't always hit that. We're on like 56 episodes and there's Christmas and usually sometime in the summer, there's usually a, a missed episode. The holidays are a given. It's just difficult, as you know, to get everybody together. Mm -hmm. But so yeah, 56, we probably do 
20 episodes a year. Does that add up? Yeah, about 20 episodes a year. So yeah, two and a half, three years, something like that. An episode every two weeks is very aggressive. Very. That's a lot of work. Yeah. And we, we definitely don't always hit that, which is, you know, it is what it is. Our, our, our people start clamoring. I got to do my yard work. When's the new episode coming out? Like, all right, you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I got to do my yard work. <laughs> Give me an episode so my mind does not rot during this two hour period. Right, right. That's funny. So you already mentioned, you know, your podcast is really focused on the strategic perspective. And, and I've actually, you know, taken lessons from your podcast 100%. For example. Oh, excellent. One thing that immediately comes to mind is smoke LRMs on. That's why you're losing all the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can't blame losing on you guys. It's definitely okay. all on my my unique narrative style of playing Battletech. The rule of cool, mm. not the rule of, of good. You guys really do build effective and look at Lance's from an effective perspective. Mm -hmm. My perspective is a little bit leaned on. I just want to think of it from the pilot's perspective. I think of it from the what would be cool to try. Yeah. And then if I get blown up, I get blown off. I, I, don't, I don't really do competitive battle tech, right. although I do, definitely appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And I have competed in battle tech. Like I've gone to events, but man, do I just get squashed <laughs> but then but the great thing about it is then i can be like well it's because you're not playing with advanced rules if you were yeah. playing with advanced rules i'd be winning yeah you just all play with basic rules what is this beginner's hours so that's the excuse i can use there you go there you go yeah you and denim would get along i feel like i have our, our three personalities you have josh he's definitely in it to win it or at least be on the journey to win it and then you got denim who's you know trying to Dungeons and Dragons battle tech. And he got me, I think I fit somewhere in the middle there on the spectrum, but I, I did interrupt you with the, you were talking about smoke LRMs. I didn't know if you want to circle back. Well, basically you talked about the grasshopper, the stupid LRM five that no one wants to use. And all of a sudden you're like, just chuck smoke LRMs on the LRM five. And I'm like, oh my God. Yes. All of a sudden LRM fives are viable. They're, they're useful. Yes. So that like that little, like, cause I love the grasshopper. But I'd always like, you know, when I play on the Battletech Hairbrain schemes or whatever, I just remove the LRM5. I'm like, this is useless. This is Leon yeah, the lasers. Yeah. Now that I have this perspective on the tabletop, yeah, definitely. It's just opened things up. And man, I love smoke LRMs. I don't care how much they slow the game down. <laughs> you will sift through my smoke as I sift through the rules. That's right. Excellent. So, yeah. So focus on the strategic perspective. Obviously, everyone in your show has a slightly different perspective but what do you feel really makes your podcast special or unique yeah i think what makes our podcast special is our dedication to our schedule which is not perfect but i feel like it's it's okay definitely our focus on the tactics but we already talked about that and i think it's our vibe too not to overuse the word vibe like we all do these days but you know denim josh and i are all locals we all hang out we all roll the dice together and i think that makes us our recordings, at least, you know, unique in that in that way. Not that nobody else has, a, you know, a friendly vibe going on. And then I also think that we're plugged into our community, which especially Denim has created such an incredible community in the Triangle. I don't, I'm not sure why North Carolina seems to be such a, a hot spot of Battletech, but between Rob at Fortress Miniatures and Games hosting his incredible Alpha Strike tournament, I'm hoping for a really good full turnout of 32 players at my classic tournament this year and denim frequently hosts you know upwards of mid 40s for people in the dungeons and dragons style you know one mech against the game master style tables that he runs so we have our vibe and we have our focus 
and what we're doing. And then we have uh, games on the table, which, which there's, there's no substitution for the context that that brings. So and I think that's what makes us unique in, in our combination of all those things. I think that as well, that on the topic of community or your Discord community is really well developed as well. And it seems to be, from my perspective, one of the most active Discord communities for Battletech. Ah, it's interesting. I didn't see this coming up in the conversation, but I, I used to be a moderator on an, uh, an older, and it's still operating and it's still a great Battletech Discord, but I used to be a moderator in there. I guess I still technically am. I'm waiting for the guys to kick me out because I don't do any work over there anymore. Kick you out? Do they know who you are? <laughs> I guess they do know. But I, <laughs> you know, I'm never there. But, I, you know, that brought a lot of experience. And, and they, were, they were the Discord that I found when I was getting into Battletech in 2018. You know, and so they scooped me up into their loving embrace and answered my my beginner's questions. You know, I don't want to call them dumb questions. There's there's no dumb beginner questions. We all have to get in there. And how you roll LRMs can be confusing at first glance. You know, how, how especially with the, the cluster table being kind of a, you know, maybe other people who came from a background of wargaming had a better a grasp on that. But, you know, some of those things seem kind of arbitrary or in, in their, their remnants of the game being from 1984 or whatever. So mm -hmm. I had some experience in that respect for moderating a Discord and more importantly, kind of how to keep it from going off, just flying off the rails. Because um, <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah, it can happen. It can happen, so. Oh, 100%. Yeah, so just, Keeping that and, and the hobby page, you know, hobby progress is so great. Keep us all inspired and encouraging each other to slay the gray, to steal a saying from some painting YouTubers I follow. Slay the gray. Yeah, slay oh, the gray. Funny. Yeah. Oh, man. My gray is thriving. <laughs> I have like a, a sanctuary of gray right now. It's my goal this year is to, to buy less and paint more. And I'm almost done with all my Necron backlog. It's just about there. And then I've got my Battletech minis furiously. I'm preparing for Southern Assault 3 and trying to get through that backlog. And I think Battletech's a little different because your backlog is your list building reservoir mm -hmm. because there's no super distinct factions. So yeah. I'll never get through all of my Battletech backlog, but we're getting there. We're getting there. But yeah, that keeps, keeps the community together. We keep the content coming. We can discuss and discuss with the community our episodes. And we try to keep our egos out of the way. And uh, I think that helps keep the Discord healthy and uh, positive and fun. And most importantly, a fun place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. So obviously the theme of Bungle Tech is mistakes. So I have to ask you this question. Oh, yeah. So what is your favorite or most memorable Battletech bungle? Oh, this one's easy. I ran a Wolverine for an entire game with I think four people, including myself, we were, it was at the local game store. I was running a game. People would stop by. And before I had my second child, you know, I was, I was really active. I was at the local game store every week and I would just pull people in. If you stopped by my table, I was asking you if you wanted to take a record sheet and roll dice. Like I was that guy. I was like, oh yeah, it's <laughs> Battletech. Cool, man. Here, here's a mech. Here's some dice. I'll show you how to play the game. And I've been playing with a new guy. I've been playing with some people I know, we get through most of the game and I look at my Wolverine that I've been jumping around the table and I have taken the variant that does not have jump jets. <laughs> <laughs> so I have been very illegally playing my battle mech for the entirety of the game, jumping behind people, getting those back shots in and my face just went flush and I'm like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. But, you know, because everybody's like the Wolverine has jump jets. It does. Well, not all of them do. So 
that was my, I think my favorite Battletech bungle for sure. Humiliating in the moment, but I can look back and laugh. How many new players did you have at the table at that time that you treacherously backstabbed? Ooh, backstabbed two new players in a game. That's an accomplishment. It really is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now get out of my hobby store, you chump. That's you should have right. read the rule book. You should have looked at my record sheet. That's right. That's At the end of the day, it's actually your fault because you're supposed to look at your opponent's record sheets. <laughs> and then, And fault. then if they did try, you actually play with hidden information, so... There you go. Sorry. There's always yeah. there's always an angle, man. There's always a way to be right. <laughs> and always a way to be wrong. <laughs> I think that's part of the social contract, right? Is be sure to always win the argument. Always be right. <laughs> yes, always be right, regardless of what you have to burn down. That's right. Nerd question for you. We're all nerds here. We're both nerds, right? We can use that word. We're comfortable with it. Oh, definitely. This is a safe place for nerds. <laughs> if you had the power to retcon one thing in the Battletech universe, what would it be and why? Uh, so I'll kind of let you be the judge of this, whether or not this is a retcon. Because, I mean, you have to retroactively, what is retcon even short for? Retroactive correction or something? The con. Yeah, it's an abbreviation like that, but basically it means like to go back and change something. Right, right. <sighs> I think yeah, and usually retconning happens to fix something. So it depends on your interpretation of precisely what a retcon is. Because my first retcon is that the Falcons should win the battle for Terra. Oh. But I don't, I don't necessarily know that that's a retcon. So if you don't want me to roll with No, retcon, that's a retcon. I do that's have a retcon. Different. That's a retcon. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I have a pretty simple reason. And it's just that everybody knew the Wolves were going to win. And it would have been so much more exciting in the moment if the Falcons hold the win and i feel like it would have set up a more antagonistic ill clan era perhaps you know with malvina running the inner sphere instead of uh, or at least being the ill con instead of alaric being the ill con but that would be my retcon I, I want that i wanted that to be different from the start i still want it to be different and we get what we get and that's what i gotta roll with but that that would be my retcon and this is coming from someone who your discord icon is a clan wolf icon that's right I, I like playing the underdog too you know interesting yeah so so you're a clan wolf fanboy yourself but you think that this story would have been more interesting with jade falcon taking the reins yeah I, I really do it would have been just more interesting because i feel like ah and now i have to play devil's advocate with myself perhaps if the falcons won the inner sphere would be too scared and too ready to to come together to defeat the Falcons or at least limit their spread. Whereas with Alaric in charge, maybe he's not as threatening to the inner sphere. So maybe they'll be, because what we want in our universe is lots of skirmishing on the edges. We want constant conflict. We want the space opera politics. So maybe getting the, you know, the Avengers together, the inner sphere Avengers to contain the evil, the mustache twirling Malvina Hazen <laughs> or Hazan, however you want to say it would have been less interesting, but I wanted to be surprised. I wanted to, I wanted the, I wanted Battletech to kill its darling a little bit and not necessarily completely kill. I think uh, you completely murdering off a faction isn't the best idea, especially for those poor, poor people who painted Oberon Confederation mechs, you know, um, even, <laughs> even though is the Oberon Confederation coming back in some form. Either way, if a faction has been killed off, I feel like there's been an effort to bring it back. So. Maybe not the best thing to do, but at least to have them be defeated, for sure. Very, very cool. Well, 
people that are of the Battletech community and that are listening to this and that have the power to make this change, make sure to do it. Yeah. Do it for Dustin. Do it for the mech bay or else he will inflict his wrath upon you. I can say that, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's what you're planning to do, right? I will issue my bachals. <laughs> Sweet. Well, dude, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you being here and your time and everything. Truly an honor to have you here. Thanks for having me on. No worries. If people somehow didn't know about the Mech Bay and wanted to find out more about the Mech Bay, how can they find you? You can type the Mech Bay podcast into your favorite search engine. Find us on just about any podcast listening platform. You can send us an email at themechbaypodcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Facebook that, at the Mech Bay podcast. And we have a lovely little Discord. Not entirely sure how you'd get the invite to the discord it's definitely on the facebook page but it's an open discord you can you can find your way onto the discord and i think those are all the places oh we do also have an instagram mech bay podcast on instagram you can find a couple photos of our hobby antics on that uh, social media platform i believe those are all the ways that you can see what kind of stuff what kind of refuse we're pumping out into the uh into the community <laughs> rock on well keep pumping it out man Thanks. The community's addicted to it. The refuse, as you say. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I've been enjoying your podcast as well. Uh, keep it up. I Your technique for bringing three players into a game in an interesting way has been an inspiration. And I know that I'll try it out the next time that third, that odd man out wants to roll dice or when you're lining up the game, setting up the three differing objectives. Yeah, man. That's, that's a fun game mode. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, I've been enjoying the, uh, the narrative stuff that you're cooking up hundred percent. Awesome. Well, that means the world because like I said, you're one of the chief inspirations. So technically it's really, you're patting yourself on the back. All right. All because right. I, yeah. So people yeah, are going to start to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this has been awesome. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. Thank you for everything. And I'm excited to listen to more episodes of the Mech Bay. I'm Professor Michael, presenting more of The Sphere We Live In. During development of House Karita's Raiden battle armor, the 70-year-old project director, Dr. Guthrie, was ordered to pilot it during its first live-fire test. The suit survived a hail of laser and ballistic fire, leaving Guthrie still able to salute coordinator Takashi Karita before collapsing and being taken to the hospital so that he might recover from his five broken bones. Now you know about the sphere we live in. Welcome back, everybody. I'm joined by the amazing Heather from Battle Babes. Hello, Heather. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm super excited. I know it's taken a little bit of time to get this going, but woohoo! Woohoo is right. <laughs> so for people that don't know about your podcast, how long have you been active for? Um, I've been working, doing some podcast stuff for the Calgary Battletech League for about two years now. And then last year, myself and the other female in our league kind of got suckered into being the interviewers for our league. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. So our actual podcast, Battle Babes, has been about just over a year, I guess, or well, no, maybe under a year, something like that. Very cool. So I have to ask, 
What's the story behind your name? Is it as straightforward as it seems? <laughs> so, yes, it is. Well, <laughs> yes, and kind of no. So we were trying to figure out a name because we started doing the interviews for League and I just didn't want to be Heather or Heather and Laura. And then we started talking about doing some reading and doing the podcasts for the reading. And we were trying to think of names. Well, of course, the guys came up with names that were not exactly flattering. So um, <laughs> at one point in time, it was another BB word, but I was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to use that second one because that's not exactly um, appropriate. So it turned out to be Battle Babes. And when we were talking about it, Laura and I thought it was perfect because we don't want to just talk about battle tech. We wanted to talk about just battles in general, whether it's battles we're having on our like with our games or if it's battles and trying to understand the battle tech or even just battles in general my 10 year old gonna say nine but she just turned 10 a week and a half two weeks ago she keeps wanting to do an interview with us about the battle of being a kid in today's day and age which i'm like okay well yeah let's let's see what those battles are about very interesting and i can definitely relate to the battle of understanding battle tech Perhaps that's the truest battle of them all. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you uh, first see Battletech and you look at it and you're like, yeah, that looks like the stupidest game ever. And then it takes you 15 years to finally realize, hey, I might want to actually learn some of the fluff. <laughs> it's definitely been a battle for my husband. <laughs> that's awesome. So your podcast is pretty unique in the community, but I want to ask from you directly, what are you focused on bringing to the community? Well, when it comes to the Battletech community, we wanted to look at, well, first of all, the novels. Um, there's not much out there about like doing novel reviews with the novels. And so that was one of the first things we wanted to kind of bring it out there so that people could see that these books are actually really good and bring them into the universe. So kind of improve the community. And also, along with that, we wanted to start educating, as I say to Laura, me more than her, because she has way more background than I do, creating content that would help people like friends um, who don't have the background in Battletech so that they can understand it in layman's terms instead of the way the guys talk, which is awesome if you do have some kind of background, but the whole looking at all the technical side. So the supplementals came about specifically because I was trying to describe parts of the book to my mom, but I had to kind of explain the differences in mech sizes. Mm -hmm. And so that's really where it came around from because we're like, okay, we're creating this podcast for people to learn about the books, but then they're hearing about the wasp or they're hearing about the marauder or the Phoenix Hawk and they have no idea what these things are like. And so we completely acknowledge that it's a made up universe <laughs> and the math is like, it has good basis, but there's no way for us to know. So we thought, Hey, let's create these and make them real life. So people can actually visualize. So like one of our podcasts um, about the size of them and comparing them to Danny DeVito and Peter Dinklage. I was like, exactly. Everybody knows who they are. <laughs> Oh, man, that's a good way to measure it. How many Danny DeVitos is a Marauder? Do you know off the top of your head? No, no, because um, we didn't do specific 
um, Max, we just talked about sizes. And of course, I don't have it off the top of my head. But one of them, it was, I don't know, eight or nine Danny DeVitos and a few more Peter Dinklage's because. Oh, man, that must have been a wasp. That must have been a smaller Mac to be only eight. I think so. Eight Danny DeVitos. Yeah, I don't don't remember that would that would actually require someone to have a good memory and well i don't have a good memory. <laughs> well it's a good thing you document things in a podcast because then you don't need to have a good memory it's documented for you well yeah i can review it quite easily <laughs> and be like oh yeah i forgot that oh, oh okay so you've already sort of touched upon it but is there anything else in particular that you think makes your podcast special or unique in the battletech community one, um, and we've been told this by many people, the fact that we're two women doing it and because there's not many, well, there's not many women playing Battletech, let alone talking about it. And one, we're not scripted. Like we, we have an idea, like we know what we're talking about. So when we specifically talking about the sizes of the mechs, we did our research. We didn't just completely ignore it, but we also, we don't write down every single word we're going to say uh if you were to listen to our podcast compared to um the cbl podcast the main podcast like ours kind of go all over the place we don't have this clear direct line and our lack of experience right we don't have this huge knowledge base and we're learning along with the people who are listening very cool so really summarizing it it's you know it's woman-led it's unscripted and it's introductory focused yes yes i thought i would tell you um, I was just, I, I pulled it up. Talking about the sizes or the number of Peter Dinklage's for the sizes. Yes. So I said six or seven that. So if we look at like a, a light mech, it's six Danny DeVito's or 6.7 Peter Dinklage's. <laughs> and then looking like the heavy, a marauder size would be 10 Danny DeVito's or 11.11 .11 Peter Dinklage's. Wow. That's a lot of Peter Dinklage acting power in one mech. That would be the best performed mech ever. The best performing mech ever would be that 11 Peter Dinklage mech. No mech would be better acted than that Marauder. Yeah. Well, not just 11, 11.1. .1. I don't know what to do with the point one. That just sort of makes it Cthulian for me a little bit. Like imagine just a foot sitting there on one of their shoulders. <laughs> yeah, well, but but I was like, oh, you, you can't, you gotta like include, you can't forget that one itty bitty part because it makes the difference in height. <laughs> so I have to ask, this is, I'm actually really curious because you sort of are introductory focus as well. We're just always bungling about. Mm -hmm. but I was wondering if there's a particular bungle that you've had, and that could be, you know, a rule bungle. It could be a lore bungle. It could be any sort of bungle that really sticks out to you. Are we talking about our podcast or are we talking about the game? It can be either. It could be something pertaining to your podcast. It can be something pertaining to playing the game. Yeah, totally. I'm going to give you both. So let's go to podcast for podcast first. When we did our explanation, kind of what like the universe is like, like our first original one, I'm talking about space and distance. We completely had the distance completely wrong. So talking about a light year and how far it is and so, so on like that. We did the math. We figured it all out. And then when we did our um, actual breakdown of the different factions, 
the two boys informed us that we were completely wrong on the number of light years and the distance between places. So I felt like a complete. They mansplained it. They totally did. And it it worked. It worked. Oh, no. It, it worked. We needed it. Like it was our math was bad, like millions and billions off. Oh, well, not just a little well. bit. You know, I mean, in, in millions and billions in off in the terms of the, the vastness of space. Is that really a big deal? I don't know. True. But I'm not a mathematician. Yeah. Michael yeah. checks my math. So. <laughs> yeah, my math is I normally I I used to be a math coach for for teachers, but now I'm like, um, yeah, that was a lot more numbers than I expected. So that's the podcast side. And then Battletech side, I've actually, in the league we play in, they actually have a award called the Phoenix Hawk Memorial Award. Don't ask me the backstory on that. There's an actual full-on backstory about the name of it. But two out of the three seasons I've played in, <laughs> I've earned the Peahawk Award. And actually, the first year I got it, I was like, Peahawk, right? It's written like that on the board. I'm I looked at him like, oh, you mean like the Fock Award? Because <laughs> literally that's what it is. Well, my last year, I took my grasshopper and I jumped it into uh, level two water. And kush And I flooded my back torso. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was so good that the guy I was playing against was like what did you just do like you just blew open your mech and then everyone from across the room what did you just do <laughs> like everybody I was like yeah smart <laughs> I had no idea of the possible ramifications I didn't I thought jumping into water would be better well and then I later on when I reviewed it I'm like oh yeah when you jump into water your feet go up from underneath you so it'll be the same with them I was like oh my god I was such an idiot thinking science yeah, no, definitely water is a death trap. And I didn't realize that for a long time as well. Like the flooding compartments thing that you experienced, I'm 100%. I did not realize that was a thing. And before I was like, ooh, I'm in a splash pond with my mech. This is so nice and relaxing. And now I'm like, stay away from water. Don't get close to the water. Well, the worst thing is, and my husband just about shot me. We played our first game last weekend for this season. And... One of my mechs, one of the, the first moves I did, I walked him. It walked him. I didn't even jump him or run him or anything because I know you can't run into water. But I jumped, I walked into water and did the same thing. <laughs> and it was only level depth one. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? I didn't jump. But yeah. So lesson learned. Water and mechs do not mix. Yeah, water is bad. Water is bad. Although I do want to do an... I've never done it before. I think it'd be very fun to do a complete underwater match with like the torpedo launchers Ooh. and stuff like that. That would definitely be an advanced game, but it would be slow and arduous and boring. Then all of a sudden, everyone would just get wiped out all of a sudden. Totally be on board for that. Okay, so, you know, you have an introductory sort of level focus, but you're really ingrained in the Calgary Battletech League and they are the masters of this stuff. So in your opinion, not in your opinion, actually. No, this is an opinion question. This is a factual opinion. In your brain facts, what is the optimal urban mech loadout and the optimal urban mech pilot name for that loadout? Oh, Jesus. Really? Okay. Well, first of all, um, I 
didn't really, well, and I still really don't know what the heck an urban mech is, other than that they do stuff in cities. <laughs> uh, I asked Lee yesterday, and he kind of told me, and I'm like, oh, now I forget. Um, <laughs> I would, thinking urban mech, right? Thinking, my brain goes walking dead. Like, being in a city, right? It's, I don't know why that's where it goes, but it does. And so, I would think you would want, well, it's got to have speed. Because if you are going to be doing something that it, I would be assuming you would be protecting important people like presidents or prime ministers or famous celebrities. I don't know, something like that. So you want to be quick, but you'd also have to be versatile because you never know what's coming down the road. And they'd have to have some kind of a multi-functional weapon layout because if it's you're you're not going to want to so if you have a I'm thinking at a concert if you have a really big mob or like what happened down in Vegas when the Edmonton it was the Edmonton Elks were playing down there I think this year against the Vegas Knights and they had they were trying to block the fans from getting too close to the arena you don't want something that's going to kill them (laughs) people might think your city's bad so you want to you need to have some kind of weapons with that maybe smoke you're not gonna want fire because that would kill them too (laughs) um but then you'd also be able you'd need something because if you have a mech i'm assuming other people would have mechs so you'd need something to take be able to take them out if you have to and a pilot name i don't know i i and i've been racking my brain about this i have no idea i want it almost to be a kind of an absolutely ridiculous name like diva donna or (laughs) um i don't know strong stan i don't know i'm not very good i just google i'll google names for different whatever the history (laughs) or the background is. both those names are great Yeah, I, Diva Donna and Strong. Arnold Stan. Schwarzenegger. There's a name. That's a name I would put into one of those suckers. So what's funny about how you answer this question is that you interpreted the question as a urban mech being a mech to use in urban environments. Yeah. But the urban mech is actually a mech itself. So it's like a a mad cat or an atlas. It's an actual mech type. And the armaments that you suggested for it are the exact pretty much opposite of what it's actually built at because the urban mech isn't actually a good urban mech it's sort of like a joke mech although it does have its purposes so anyhow that was that was an awesome answer because oh awesome you basically just said the optimal urban mech loadout is to not have an urban mech loadout that's what you just said (laughs) and most people would agree with you most people would agree with you (laughs) that okay lee was trying to explain it to me last night and he was explaining something about kind of like a something with a tank and i'm like okay all i hear is it's in the city and people don't like them that's really (laughs) all i remember from him telling me so it's also a good summary i'm glad i'll give people a few laughs (laughs) piloted by diva donna yeah there you go yeah breaking up those concerts with like smoke lrms the non-lethal variant yeah maybe some lasers pointing in the sky oh there you go yeah smoke show yeah there you go i like that freaking cool Everyone can love that. <laughs> oh my God. So if people haven't heard about Battle Babes and they want to check out your podcast, what's the best place they can find you? YouTube, right on the Calgary Battle Tech League YouTube page. We are really trying to get into the 
uh, Spotify kind of thing, but that's taking a little bit extra time, not going as fast as we thought, but we're directly connected to the Calgary Battletech League because we do our, do their interviews. So if they go there, there's an actual link or actual playlist with our videos on it. Awesome. Okay. So they search the Calgary Battletech League on YouTube and they look for Battle Babes content. Yeah. They can also find us on Facebook under Battle Babes. Uh, it's actually Battle Babes YYC. Very cool. Heck yeah. Thank you for sharing the story about your podcast. I think it's very unique in the podcast landscape that we have in the Battletech world. So I'm pretty stoked for that. And I'm very excited about the Urban Mech Answer. I knew it was going to be good. I didn't think it would be that good, though. Thank you. <laughs> See, that's why I'm good unscripted. Because if it was scripted, I'd be like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Well, thank you for your time today. Thank you for being here. I'm Professor Michael, presenting more of The Sphere We Live In. Nestled in the spinward corner of Free Worlds League space, the planet Nathan is a small, rural world with little of value and no broader importance. Now you know about The Sphere We Live In. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I am now joined with Seth White Fox from the Mercenary Star Podcast. Hello, good sir. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. We're here to talk about your podcast and what makes it special. I think we've been around for about the same time, Bungle Tech and Mercenary Star. I think you're a little bit older than us. But uh, how long have you been around for? I launched in January of 2023. So about seven months, going on eight. But yeah, new for this year. I've been in the community for a long time, though. So Nice. Well, your two months are senior in terms of the podcast landscape. What have you learned in those two months? What additional two months of wisdom do you have that you can share with me, good sir? Ooh, two months extra. <laughs> the only thing I could say would be maybe diversify across different platforms and capture as much audience as you can. There we go. I'm slowly learning that lesson day by day so I can understand how that <laughs> probably develops more and more after every month. That makes sense. I think it's a little bit straightforward, but what's the story behind your name? <laughs> well, I had an idea to create content around talking about different mercenary units. And I actually got the idea while listening to one of our fellow podcasts, the Valhalla Club, in one of their interviews and thought, you know, it would be fun to do something that was just focused on, you know, a unit at a time and a little bit shorter form content. And what better way to do it than highlight mercenaries? Because the Kickstarter that just launched and has been wildly successful is all about mercenaries. So it's the right time to do mercenaries. And there are literal hundreds of mercenary units in the inner sphere, in the Battletech universe. That was where the concept was born. And then because I've been around Battletech since the very late 80s, early 90s, and started off reading the fiction within the, the novels pretty early, the Grey Death Legion were, of course, front and center for the fiction. And the second book within that, the, the 80s cover of Mercenary Star was always one of my favorites and just wanted to kind of 
pay homage to that. Uh, it was also the Mercenary Star represents where mercenaries go to get hired in Battletech. So uh, a hub of scum and villainy, if you will. <laughs> but the cool type of scum. The cool type of scum, yes, uh, which is the Mercenary Star, whether it's Outreach or Galatea or any other of the worlds that have been called that at any time. And so, yeah, I just thought this is a, a perfect name for this kind of content, and that's what I decided to go with. Interesting. So I didn't know that. So Mercenary Star is a term for essentially the planner location where mercenaries, that well, the planner location that's a mercenary hub. Absolutely. Hot damn. I did not know that. I guess it wasn't an obvious answer to me. That's why we're doing this. Very cool. That's right. So you touched upon this, but what does your podcast aim to bring to the community? Particularly, obviously, highlighting individual mercenary units in, in a more digestible format. So I try to keep it at an hour or under. Obviously, the further away we get from the larger, more well-known mercenary units, it's going to be a lot more short form and easy to kind of go through. But quality video and audio podcasting is kind of where I wanted to be because I've been doing video content, whether YouTube or on Twitch with streaming. And so being able to kind of have that in both worlds, there's not a lot, if any other Battletech podcasts that put the effort into both video and audio. And so I wanted to offer that. I thought it was something that unique that I knew how to do and that I could, could uh, add to our fun universe here. Yeah, that's very cool. And that definitely is something, yeah, extremely unique about your podcast. Like you say, the visual element tied to the podcast. Do you consider your primary platform YouTube? And then from there, you sort of expand out, outwards? Or is that your podcast star, per se? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, the YouTube is definitely the primary mode of delivery. And then thankfully, it has become a lot easier to transition video to audio with things like Spotify podcast because you can actually upload a complete video file and then it will convert to audio and distribute to all the platforms that you sign up for. Very cool, very cool. I'm curious because one of the things I think that makes your podcast unique as well is the research you do when you're reviewing these different mercenary units. I'm just curious, how long on average does it take for you to prep or prepare, do the research? I know sometimes you collaborate with other creators, for example, like in the Valhalla Club, you bring them on to talk about mercenary units they're familiar with. But what's the what's the research time on an average episode, if I could ask? Absolutely. Um, it depends on the unit because some of them have a lot more to research than others. But so far... In the nine episodes that I've done, uh, it's been a couple of hours uh, approximately of scouring through the different books, source books, uh, Sarna, uh, web you know, searches for images and fan art alike, just to get anything that you know, can represent that unit. And then I'll also try to make sure that I have as accurate as possible a list of what source books and fiction are available for each one. And so a lot of it is just searching, but it's usually two hours or under for each one. I'm curious about this because you've been in the Battletech community for a while. 
and you've played the tabletop, you're also, you know, embedded in the mercenary and lore sort of perspective. I gotta ask you, what your favorite or most memorable Battletech bungle is? Yes, absolutely. It's it's a tough question because the last few years my games have been a lot more online and it's a lot harder to bungle in Mega Mech when their rules are very strict. <laughs> uh, but one of the things I do remember that we did wrong with my home group for a long time was heat management. We would apply heat incorrectly, specifically with like jump jets and how that can really add up to the heat of your mech. But yeah, the, I think definitely the heat management. And then when finally learning about that, then also being able to use it to your advantage uh, or use it effectively has been something that Definitely stuck out to me as something that a, a bungle that I've had to correct in my life. Were you just doing three heat per jump? Just three heat, no matter yeah. how far you jumped. I think that's a pretty common mistake. I think so. But yeah, that's, you know, it's one of those things where you play with a group of people and, you know, you read through the rules once and then think you remember it. So, right. That's, that's what bungles are all about. Totally. Yeah. And like you say, that really does change the game because all of a sudden you know the heat constraints of the unit you're fighting. Exactly. It limits them as much as it limits you. And so the, the, I've made so many bungles that as I as I sort of realized, like specifically regarding jump jetting, how yes. jump jetting like slowly becomes worse and worse. Like, But before like I realized all these little things like that, I'm like, clearly you should always jump jet. You should just always jump jet, yeah. Yeah, but now, oh, you, you know, one, one heat per hex to a minimum of three. Yeah. Okay, okay. And, oh, you can't stand into a jump jet. Oh, okay, okay. And just, like, the, the rules stacking in my head regarding jump jetting actually forcing me to actually play this game like an actual strategy game. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it, it may have been at one time, I mean, this would have been a couple decades ago at this point, We we may have even applied... The penalties to everybody as opposed to uh you know maybe applied them incorrectly where you know for the person who's doing the jump jetting mm -hmm. there's one penalty and then the person who is you know you're facing against they still only have the 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 distance movement as as a modifier and so probably also applied that incorrectly but i don't quite remember it <laughs> at the time so <laughs> Mega Mech is what you've been playing on, right? That's the tool you've been using to for your games, or more more often since I've been back in it. I had the fortunate and unfortunate joy to get back into BattleTech when they launched when CGL launched the new box sets. They were difficult to come by. My group that I had locally, we've all kind of grown up and moved apart, and so we haven't played as much. And then you know we all had that two year period where we didn't play with anybody publicly. So mm -hmm. you know, kind of slowed down my my progress into getting out and and playing in local game shops because some of them that i had frequented uh closed so i see i see but there's pretty big growth within my area which is oklahoma there's been a lot of growth in the battletech community and we have a pretty good community now so it's been good reconnecting with them even just this year since i started the podcast and getting more involved heck yeah that's awesome so this is a special question just for you, which I am very curious about, good sir. Because, okay. you know, this is, from the perspective of a mercenary, 
This is an interesting question and there's many ways to interpret it. So in your opinion, not in your opinion, no, no, factually, <laughs> factually, yes. Which faction or leader should control Terra? It's a tough question. It requires a lot of thought. I would say ideally from a in-universe perspective, a neutral party would be someone that I feel like should, in quotes, uh, control Terra. <laughs> you know, Comstar did it for, for centuries, and there wasn't the fighting around Terra as much as just, or fighting for Terra as much as fighting around Terra between the great houses, you know. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tough. I, I like the idea of a neutral party. At this point in the lore, spoiler alert, Clan Wolf has it. Mm -hmm. So they are considered the, the ill clan. But if someone comes in and takes it after another clan, perhaps, it doesn't necessarily make them the ill clan. It just makes them in control of Terra. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, it could be Sea Fox if they decide to go full space AT&T and start controlling everything the way Comstar used to. They're also heavily invested in mercenaries. So I, I kind of have an affinity for them in that <laughs> regard. If you haven't read some of the most recent short fiction coming out of the Tales of Mercenaries, I think is what the series is called, that kind of launched alongside the Kickstarter. Um, yeah, it's, it's got that. But I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really tough and I'm very indecisive. So <laughs> uh, like I said, I think neutral party, I think for the story, Obviously, Clan Wolf controls them right now, but I kind of think it would be fun for everyone, everyone's favorite villain, the Capelling Confederation, to control it. Ooh, I like that idea. Hot take. They're literally poised to take it. Let them have it. Let them have it. Let, let everyone hate on them yeah. for a little bit. They've paid um, their dues over the years of treachery, yeah. and I love them. I, could, I just think that might be a fun direction. For a lot more, you know, obviously it's it's battle tech. It's it's a universe at war. War has to continue for this universe and the game that we love to continue. So I think that could be a fun point of contention. Have you seen the anime G Gundam? It's been a long time. The theme of that was that whoever controlled Terra, basically they, they'd have like a tournament every five years and every country would put one mech forward one gundam forward and they would fight whoever won the tournament would control terra for five or three years a decade i don't know something like that but a time period then the tournament happens again maybe we just need something like that look at that just i think that could be pretty cool simple yeah. it's very very clan like in its approach as well yeah wolf could go to that then sea fox could get in like you said and they make sense they're a neutral body Absolutely. and then the kaplans could be sneaky and buy out all the mercenaries and sea fox and then somehow take over terra there you go there's the they arc you could. could absolutely there's the next 100 years 50 years 20 years 10 <laughs> i don't know next period of time yeah the next the next era the next era it could be, i mean we've barely scratched the surface of the l clan era so who knows what that's gonna bring totally totally cool well wicked answer I'm so stoked that you mentioned Clan Seafox. I was thinking that in the back of my head. So if people haven't found your podcast yet, want to see your content, where can they find you? You can find the Mercenary Star podcast pretty much anywhere you find podcasts in audio version. So Spotify, Amazon, Apple, Google, they're all there. But like I said, because I do use such a, a visual element for the podcast itself, 
YouTube is definitely my primary platform. And I would love for people to come check it out. Drop a subscribe so they know when I post new content and uh, throw some comments on on the episodes. Let me know if I cover your favorite mercenary or if uh, there's some a fun fact that you feel that I missed. I'd love to hear about it. Great. So if they go into YouTube and search Mercenary Star Podcast, they'll find you? Absolutely. I believe the address is, you know, youtube.com slash, and then they have handles now. So at Mercenary Star Podcast, and it should show up. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram as well, as far as socials go, and they'll direct you there too. Heck yeah. Rock on. Well, Seth, thank you for taking the time to be here. This has been super awesome and an interesting conversation. You're the man. I appreciate it. Thank you for the invite and uh, glad to be a part of such an awesome interview. And again, love Bungle Tech and what you guys are doing. I'm Professor Michael, presenting more of The Sphere We Live In. In December 2350, researchers on Terra developed the first viable Myomer bundle, dubbed the Schwarzenegger bicep, this impressive merging of myomer fibers and neuroelectric circuitry was capable of contracting by over 90% of its length, and immediately crushed its test harness, tore free of the wall mountings, and launched the test weights through the ceiling. Now you know about the sphere we live in. Hello everybody and welcome back. I am now joined by the stupendous Canaan Hill from the legendary podcast of Mechs and Men. Canaan, thank you for being here today. I am Canaan Hill. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Oh, dude, it's it, truly the pleasure is all mine. We love Bungle Tech. We're always talking about Bungle Tech. We do. <laughs> that is too much of a privilege. I've been referring people to your podcast as well, actually. I have some friends that recently started getting into the literature, and I'm like, Oh my God, you got to listen to this. This is a fun way to, to walk along the journey with you. Nice. For people that somehow know about Bungle Tech, but don't know about of mechs and men, how long has your podcast been around, buddy? We first started releasing episodes last fall, like in October or November, I think. And really, I had the idea last August. So it's been about a year, I guess, since I really started working on it. So that's cool. That's actually a milestone, man. A year. It's gone fast, too. We've had a good time. And you produce a lot of content. I think you produce almost an episode every two weeks, it feels like, or an episode every week. It seems to be quite a lot. We try to hit weekly, but it is tough. So we do, uh, you know, sometimes we got to skip a week. But we do. We try our best. Of mechs and men. Battletech podcast by any other name would smell as strange. <laughs> but <laughs> what's the story behind your name, good sir? It took us a while, right? When you decide to start a podcast, naturally, just like, say, starting a band, you have to pick a name, right? And this, of course, can be quite harrowing, especially when yourself and your two partners are all you know, quite stubborn and picky. Who's the most stubborn? It's Brent. It's definitely Brent. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. There you go, Brent. It's true. He knows it. It did take us a while. We went back and forth for a week or two 
at least disco and you know writing stuff i had a whole big list of names i think we came back on it i mean the idea is we wanted something uh, literary right we you know naturally we're thinking of like cool book titles literature we had a bunch of different ideas but i think both me and aaron independently had written down of mechs and men like of mice and men right it's like the steinbeck and you know, we were like comparing our list and we were like, oh, we both like this one. And then Brent liked it. And really, we, we were just like, oh, that was, this one's good. We like it. Of Mechs and Men. It sounds good. It wasn't like some flash of lightning inspired. Like we actually like, we talked it out, but we decided we thought it was cool. We went with it. I think it was a good decision. I like the name. I do. Well, I think it's a very clear name for one. Like when I first heard your name, I'm like, oh, this is about Battletech fiction. Is very clear yeah. to me. Uh, of Mice and Men, when I was in junior high, it was mandatory reading for school, and I think it probably still is. Obviously, a you know a classic. It's classic. Totally a classic. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's a great fit. It's a great name. I love it. So it's cool that the two of you sort of stumbled upon it at the same time. Yeah, we um, that's what I mean. I had a whole. I still have it. It's like just a whole big old notes document full of like uh, names. Most of them were terrible. A couple of them were cool. You know, maybe I, I did save some of them. Maybe I'll use them for like future uh, projects or like videos we do or something. That would be cool. I want to know one of your terrible names. Do you have one of those ready? Can you pull it out, a terrible name that you had? I'm going to put them on blast. The other two guys, they both wanted, they tried to push me for, for a fistful of sea bills. Which is cool. It's okay. It's like a Western. Mm -hmm. I get it. But uh, I was like, no, guys, we can't do that. But they were like, no, it's awesome. And I was like, I don't know. What, what is this? I think, you know, I was like, we can still use that, though. They were way into for a fistful of sea bills or and like stuff like that. They love it. I think that name to me, it would like when I hear it, I would think Merc stories only or Merc units only, like something about mercenary specific. Yeah. Where Mice and Men seems yeah. to be much more, yeah, literature focused, right? That's the idea. We had this exact conversation and we were like, yeah, man, of mechs and men, let's do it. Let's talk about these books. Also, speaking of names, I think Bungletech is great. Brent was like, oh, there's a new Battletech podcast. What's it called? Bungletech. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I like that. I think that's pretty good. Thanks, man. Yeah, that was, uh, it just truly <laughs> explains our experience playing this game. So it's easy to come up with. So your podcast is pretty unique in the community. What does your podcast aim to bring to it? More than anything, we just really love these books. We just love Battletech. And we would, uh, really, it was born from, you know, us reading the books and just talking about them and getting really excited and just wanting to, I just, we just want to talk about all of this fiction. It's incredible. There's so much. And I was like, somebody's got to talk about this, right? Something happened here. It's wild. There's so many books. And especially, we were hoping that maybe players or people who are interested in Battletech who hadn't read a lot of the novels or knew a lot about like the characters and the narrative and the story we were hoping that we could um you know maybe help like some players maybe be like more aware that there's all this stuff out there there's all this cool story it's really fun to play the game on the tabletop but you know what's really fun context yeah if you know uh why the little guys are down there it's uh I think it's even more interesting it's so fun it's incredible how many different writers have written for Battletech. It's so varied. We wanted to shout these guys out. It's like, man, these guys wrote these books, and you can tell they really poured their heart into it. Like, some of these books are, like, incredible. I wanted people to notice. I noticed. We noticed that they're beautiful, and we wanted to talk about them. Hopefully, 
convince some people that, man, you know, these books are pretty cool. Check them out. So essentially the aim of your podcast was to bring the love of the Battletech literature to the community. Absolutely. That touches upon it, but is there anything that makes your podcast particularly special or unique? I think this is a pretty obvious answer, but I'm asking you anyhow. Aside from our show being specifically fiction-focused, like that narrative style we do, we also try to, we try to be funny. I try to be funny, right? I wanted to make sure that it was entertaining. We do, that was our thing. I was like, guys, we got to be punchy because I think that that's going to get people in, right? It's like, if you notice, the show is just us, like, just being like, isn't this cool, right? Aren't these books so cool? I love this part. <laughs> it's so cool, isn't it? Check it out. Buy the books. Also, we've known each other for a long time. We're three good friends. And I think that we have, I think that goes a long way. I think we have a good chemistry. And I think that goes a long way. I think, uh, you know, these guys are easy to talk to. I've known them for a long time. And we know each other really well. We know how to play off each other really well. I think it really works. We're having a good time. If I can speak about my experience of what I think makes your podcast special is, first, it really feels like when you're listening, you're in the room with you three guys. It feels like you're sitting at a table nice. just nice. chatting and trading stories, which is really nice. And what's sort of cool about it is I don't want to reread the books that I've read. I've read a ton of Battletech books. So, for example, The Great Death Legion. Yeah. I don't want to go back and reread that book. But reliving it through hearing you guys talk about it, yes, it's like I'm reminiscing. And yes. it's such a nice, positive feeling. And yes. hearing your guys' perspective, like now my perspective of Grace and Carlisle is forever changed <laughs> listening to you guys. Because yes. now I'm re-experiencing it from your lens. It's a really enjoyable listen. It's like a walk through memory lane, right? It's like you're giving me a guided tour through the stories. You're right. A big part of it is, hey, you read these, you know, 10 years ago. Come back through with us. You'll have a good time. That's true. Good point. That is absolutely a, something that we were hoping to accomplish. So it's great to hear you say that. Thank you. Oh, no. Thank you for the content. So, you know, our podcast is about messing up. So we had to ask the question, what is your favorite Battletech bungle? Favorite, most notable most memorable, either of those. I was thinking about bungles. I've been playing Alpha Strike with my brother. I've been showing him in the game. We're having a good time. I love the Raven, right? I have this Raven. I'm always trying to do the narcs and stuff. I think that stuff's so fun. And hell yeah. I didn't realize till the other day I was reading that, and this is for anyone listening. I didn't know. I bungled it, right? I realized I had played a whole bunch of games. The outcomes would have been different had I realized that narcs take effect on the same round that you shoot them in Alpha Strike. If you hit them with the NARC, that applies immediately. You don't have to wait for the next round. Everyone needs to know this. Oh, wow. This is important. I didn't know this. That's a big buff. Yeah, so yeah, I made a whole bunch of bungles. I was always waiting for the next round. I was like, oh man, if I'd known this, I would have done better. Exact opposite of the bungles I make. Your bungle made it harder for you. Our bungles make it easier for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little... Uh... A little public service announcement. I wanted to shout it out. That's awesome. Shout out to the narcs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Shout out to the narcs out there. Underappreciated weapon, I think. Absolutely. Very cool. Very, very cool. All right. Who knows? Maybe it'll come back around. Maybe the day of the narc is upon oh, us. Oh, yeah, man. What would we need? We need like a ER narc. <laughs> Actually, having a narc at longer range would be crazy. Because it's 369, I think. Oh, you're, you're playing uh, 
alpha, but I think in classic it's 369, I think. And, uh, hmm, actually, don't listen to me, world. You know how bad I am with rules. It's either 369 or 510, 15. I think it's one of those range bands. Or is it 4812? Oh my god, it could be any of them. I don't know anymore. Okay, I'm just going to shut up. Okay, I really want to know, because you are a man in the lore. You're embedded in the lore, buddy. You're swimming around, arm around Lori, high-fiving Grayson. <laughs> if your arm's not around Lori. Nice. Someone that's named Lori, but it's not Grayson's Lori, because that would be a bad situation. You're buddies with everyone in there. You're ingrained. You're ingrained. So I want to know, if you could place yourself in the Battletech universe, who would you be? What would you do? And where would you be? Oh, if I had to live in the Battletech universe, I'd probably be like a professional musician or like perhaps a holovid star actress. Now, if now if I had to do a military thing, the funny thing about the Battletech world is that you can be anything. You can just be a guy. Totally. It would be cool to be, you know, like rich. That'd be cool. <laughs> um, but, all right, specifically, you were like, listen, who do you know? What do you want to be? I know what you're getting at. Whatever you want. <laughs> Don't limit yourself to a character. Don't be like, I'm going to be Jamie Wolf. No, be Kanan Wolf. Kanan Wolf. <laughs> you know what? I got to say, mechs are really cool, but especially when I read the books, whenever they do the parts about like aerospace fighters, I still always think, man, flying jets is like really cool. And I'm serious. I think it would be cool to be an aerospace fighter. I think that. Every time I read about the aerospace fighters, I'm like, man, these guys are cool. All right. So you're an aerospace fighter. Or like a lord, you know, like a baron or of like a duchy. That'd be cool. You know, I'd have all these subjects, my holdings and whatnot. I'd be maneuvering against other families. It would be cool to do the whole feudal thing as well. Kind of like have, be like a baron or a, have like a house unit, you know, militia. That'd be cool. I could do that. Okay. I'm going to make you choose. You can only be one, man. And what you say, you're going to be reincarnated in the Battletech universe one day. And what you say now is going to come to fruition. Lord or Aeros... I mean, you could combine them. Whatever you want. The sky is limitless, good sir. It's true. Rich people love to fly planes. So... <laughs> Actually, I'll choose Raven Pilot. You know, I'll go with my heart. I'll stick with my fundamentals. And I always thought the Raven was cool. Since, like, Mech Commander. I played Mech Commander. When I was a kid, and I was like, oh, the Raven's cool. And uh, I always thought it would be cool to pilot a Raven. So I will. I'll say that. I'd be a Raven pilot. I'd be, I'd be way into the electronic countermeasures. You know, I'd be doing my narcs and my tag lasers and all the ECM and whatnot. That'd be really cool. Hell yeah. And where would you be doing it? Oh, man. Tough question. You know, it, it definitely depends on the era. Remember, you're getting reincarnated as this, so you should be very specific. Man. You know, I'd want to be a mercenary, right? Mercenaries are cool, dude. We'd have like our outfit and I'd be like the electronic countermeasures guy. I'd be the Raven pilot and we'd like go around doing jobs and stuff. What region or, you know, what kind of uh, area, you know, we'd probably operate in Lyran space, taking jobs, hitting up Galatea and whatnot. It's, uh, you know, it depends on the era, you know, current era. That'd be cool. All of that going on over there, the hinterlands and whatnot. It'd be cool, man. I w yes, I would, be, I would be a Raven pilot for a Merc Lance. Absolutely. Very cool. And so now that you've let that stew, why, good sir? Why? You said because, you know, you're just following your heart? What's your heart saying? 
Ever since I played Mech Commander, man, you watch that intro where the Raven, he's running Panther, right? The Raven pilot. He's running from the Mad Cat. He doesn't have jump jets. Oh, but then you get a Raven like shortly into that game, right? You find Mystique in the woods. She's powered down. But then when you get her, you realize she's got like the ECM and stuff. I don't know. I'm like, oh man, these are cool. They look cool. But yeah, it's just ever since I was a kid, I was like this. I, I like this one. I would drive this one. And so that's why I was like, I just got to go with like nine-year-old Kanan, right? That's what he would want me to say. I did it. <laughs> you did it. You finally did it. You finally did it, nine-year-old Kanan. You can look back at yourself and be like, buddy, I made it happen. Great manual. That game, the manual, they, it was awesome, dude. It was like so thick. Mech Commander is the only uh, game that I actually ended up missing. In the, like, well, I missed Mech Warrior 1 and I missed Mech Commander 1 and 2. It's a regret of mine. I didn't have a PC at the time, I think, or maybe it just was out of my radar. Who knows? Because I'm all about that turn-based stuff. I played it online. That, it was one of the first like online games I played. Like I went on the, it was like, oh, I played it like on the internet against like other people. Yeah. And I was like 10 or 11 years old at the time. It was cool. <laughs> yeah. It was a big deal when we first connected online, that modem dialing up. M player. I remember I, we had to do mplayer.com, which was like the precursor to GameSpy. I remember when GameSpy came out and they like kicked us off. They were like, you got to go over there now. I was like, oh, what weird. What's this? Is GameSpy even still around? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, hit me up on mplayer. If, if anyone remembers, shout outs to mplayer.com. Hit Kanan up on mplayer, everybody. It's... Heck yeah. You should host your own M player site. Get some Met Commander oh, action man. going on. Set it for Ravens only. The dream. Ravens only. Well, I think it sort of makes sense that you would be a Raven pilot. Once again, you like aerospace as well. And a Raven's very spaceshipy looking, like in its design. So That's true. It has that yeah. vibe. And I totally pick up the the love of the aerospace when you guys are talking about it on your podcast, when you're explaining those like combat scenes and the time and the distance and everything like that, the complexity of it. it I remember when I was listening to you guys talking about, I forget her name, the chick that comes back as the crazy assassin with her lover when they're dying. You're going over that scene in the podcast. Sue Allen. Sue Allen. There you go. Yeah. When you're talking about that scene, you know, and the complexities of it, you know, the distance, the run, the calculations, yeah. everything like that. Yeah. Aerospace. <laughs> Is super, super cool. Yeah, they don't get a lot of credit because they get blown out of the air pretty easily. Uh, they don't have a lot of armor on them generally. But I mean, oh my God. Yeah, aerospace fighters are, are badass. Sometimes you wipe out an entire company of Panthers in like one pass. So that's cool. The dream. The dream. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> also, I like playing the Raven in the online game like MechWarrior Online, with the stealth armor and stuff. I like sneaking around and shooting people with the narcs. I totally do that, by the way. I like sneaking around with the stealth armor. Yeah, sticking a narc feels good. I mean, I've only done it in the tabletop. Well, no, no, that's not true. I've done MechWarrior 5 and stuff like that as well, but man, the tabletop when you land a narc. Yeah. Oh man, the missile's coming down, Heck baby. Yeah. Coming down. Tag lasers? Hell Let's yeah. Let's go. The Orion with fire. his narc, man, the good old reliable Orion, just, you know, I never am disappointed by that mech, despite it not being very good. It passes the bar on everything, in my opinion. <laughs> it's a classic. Aaron loves the Orion. That's one of his favorites. Oh, I love it. I love its look. I love everything about it. Anyhow, 
This has been friggin' very cool and a privilege to talk to you. So if people haven't heard about you and they've been blown away by this conversation, like, oh my God, I want to relive the fiction with Kanan Hill and his pals. Where can they go to find you? How can they get engaged with you? We are Of Mex and Men, a Battletech book club. And we're available on all major platforms. Yeah, look it up. If you search Battletech, we should be in the results, right? It shouldn't be too hard to find us. But yeah, you'll see us, Of Mex and Men, right? We have the black with the green, like, wireframe, uh, you know, kind of art with the little guy in the neuro helmet. Check it out. You know, if you're interested, if you want to hear some guys just chop it up about these books, absolutely, come on by. I think you'll have a good time. Well, I certainly did good, sir. And I certainly do, because I'm still listening, because I'm catching up. So thank you for the efforts you're putting in. And it's just a fun walk down memory lane with a quirky perspective, which I like. A fun perspective. Thank you. So yeah, thank you for it. And thank you so much for taking the time to be here and trusting me to be on my podcast for this guest appearance. It's amazing. It's amazing, dude. The pleasure is all mine. I'm Professor Michael, presenting more of The Sphere We Live In. While Diudon II was selected for colonization on account of its vast mineral deposits, including titanium, manganese, and near-surface laterite veins, immigration was mostly sustained by interest in the various endemic life forms, which were widely described as tasty. Now you know about the sphere we live in. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for still being here. I'm pretty stoked because the next guest is a person that you probably all know, the legendary Mike the Viking from the Valhalla Club podcast. Welcome, my friend. Thanks for having me, brother. Let's go. Cheers to you. Thanks for being here, man. This is awesome. And once again, thanks for giving us an apartment in your Discord. That's been a, a nice welcoming home. You guys have a great show, man. And like we've talked about on the server in the past, like there's a lot of discords and it's becoming oversaturated. So let's give each content creator group that doesn't already have a server their own dedicated booth so we can have one consolidated place to hang out. That's uh, awesome, you know? <laughs> Heck yeah. No, it's radical. I appreciate it. So I'm here to talk about your podcast. I want to know more about your podcast. For people that don't know about the Valhalla Club, how long has your podcast been active? Oh, so as of, I'm going to date it. Can I date it? I'm going to date the podcast. You can date it. Date it, man. Okay, I don't understand what this <laughs> dating thing is. It's August 1st. <laughs> the date is there. As of right now, it's August 1st. and that makes it our 12th month. So this is our one year anniversary because we our first episode was published the first week of September because we've published the first week of every month minus this month. We're going to be late because of Gen Con. <laughs> so, but episode 12 is August. So it's our it's our one year like anniversary. So been doing it for a year. <laughs> sick, sick. That's awesome. So I'm really curious, and you've sort of mentioned it casually to me, but I want the world to know, and I want to understand it better, good sir. What's the story behind 
your name. Because to me, the Valhalla Club, of all the Battletech podcasts out there, that's the one that's the biggest leap from something like Battletech or mech-related, right? So hit me with it. Yeah. All right. So have you listened to... Or I, I know there's a lot of Battletech podcasts, so even I'm behind. So no harm, no foul. If you're not up to date with Of Mechs and Men, they are currently going through the Warrior Trilogy. And they're on book one of the Warrior Trilogy. And on Solaris 7, in the Steiner part of town, I don't have any of my information open, so I'm purely drawing off memory right now. And you know what? It might not be the Steiner part of town. Either way. <laughs> <laughs> in it'll give the fans something to look up after on Solaris 7 there is a bar called Thor's Shield Hall and within Thor's Shield Hall is a VIP bar called the Valhalla Club and that's where like the absolute top warriors within the Solaris circuit the Solaris arena get access to because they're they're the elite warriors as well as you know nobles and all those other wonderful people so that is where the name comes from before we decided on a name we're like okay well what what should we call it right and it's like uh i think dave's original idea was just send it and i was like well no like it needs to have (laughs) some type of some type of like battle tech tie to it because otherwise it's just it just doesn't make sense and then we've we've had a lot of people comment or ask us, be like, or or I've seen comments in other posts, whether it's Reddit or Discord on the various servers, this, that, and the other, being like, okay, well, like, how is the Valhalla Club related to Battletech? And then I think I, I don't even remember what episode it was, but we explained it. It was one of the earlier episodes. And as Bourbon said, well, um, read a book. And uh, one of the core <laughs> trilogies that most people start with, if you've read the Warrior trilogies, specifically even book one, you'll, you'll know where the name comes from. But that's where we got the name. I wasn't a fan of Just Send It. I submitted the proposal of the Valhalla Club and I won. So take that, Dave. Nice. So you're, you're embedded in the lore. That's sick. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that your podcast, at least the description of it, you you tend to be about your region, a lot about your region. I want to ask specifically what your podcast aims to bring to the community, not only your region's community, but also the greater community worldwide. Yeah, so we're a Colorado Battletech community. So the server started as just a Colorado Springs Discord server back in 2021, something like that, a couple months after we created the Colorado Springs server, we opened it up to the entire state and it started flooding in because there were already established Facebook groups. So then it, we became the Colorado Battletech Discord. And we have, let's see, the guy that joined today was member number 356. So within the server for Discord, just within Colorado, there's at least 350 members because some of those are bots and they count this, that, and the other. But it has grown a lot in the past two years or so because 2020, 2021, so three, three and a half years. I don't know. Time is a construct. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's why it doesn't matter when you date the podcast. Time is a construct, baby. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Absolutely. So 
as it grew, as it grew, as it grew, um, we started having more people coming up with putting on events. And then we, just, we reached a point to where we've almost had, I think last year and maybe even this year, we reached that point to where we've had at least one actual event per month throughout, let's call it the I-25 corridor between, you know, Fort Collins, Denver, Colorado Springs, and Pueblo. They're, they're, it's central Colorado. That's where the majority of the population is. But they've ranged all in that area from Fort Collins down to Pueblo. And yeah, we've had on average about one event per month for almost the past two years. And so that gives us a lot of opportunity for battle reports. It, that's ultimately what like spawned the podcast. We've got such a large community and an awesome community here in Colorado. If we have a podcast where we can, because not everyone is always paying attention to the discord and it, you know, it, it'll get cluttered, this, that, and the other. If we put out at least like a once a month episode where we can give updates on what's happening in the community, upcoming events, our after action reports from events that we have completed in the past, and just, just various things like that. And then aside from what's happening in the community, we try to pick various topics, whether classic or alpha strike. The initial plan was to do like the initial like ratio was like for every three episodes of Alpha Strike, we were gonna do one episode of Classic. And I think we've done one episode of Classic dedicated like discussion over the last eleven published episodes, like premiere monthly episodes. So <laughs> that's not exactly working to plan. I'm trying to loop everybody back in like, hey, we can't forget about the classic side. But yeah, so just general updates on Battletech throughout the Colorado community, upcoming past reports, who won, interview those individuals, uh, what was going through their mind and those specific situations as they're in that tournament. We've had an interview with Rick, who's an awesome painter, and we talk, you know, painting techniques, tips, this, that, and the other. Yeah, just various topics whether it's classic Alpha Strike or even lower uh, for, as we call the main metal, you know? So like <laughs> the, the main point of discussion for that day. So, so what I'm hearing is that really rather than trying to say what you bring to your community, specifically your podcast is really focused on bolstering and growing the community. Yeah, uh, there's definitely a lot of reporting on, like I was saying, upcoming stuff and stuff that has happened. Uh, there was the first two episodes maybe three where we had the news from around the sphere where dave would take various battle reports that was posted in the uh, colorado battletech server and report on it like a news anchor and that was a lot of fun a lot of traffic in the battle report channel on that server has slowed down a little bit. And so we weren't getting enough to really upkeep that segment per se. A lot of people are playing games. They're just not writing battle reports. So write, write mm -hmm. battle reports and we can have a new segment again. But yeah, Very cool. yeah, just community updates, growing the community, and then random discussions about classic Alpha Strike lore for overall non-Colorado community or those that are new to the game. Because there, there's a lot of new players, both within Colorado and worldwide because of the massive success that was the clan invasion kickstarter so Heck yeah it's awesome trying to trying to get bring people up to speed pull them in make them feel welcome and want to make sure everyone has a good time nice well you definitely have a a cool vibe i think when i was like naming 
the vibe of each of the different podcasts. I, I think I said the Valhalla Club's like has a frat boy vibe, but sort of like a positive, like a modern frat. Not like an Animal House frat, <laughs> but like a giving to the community and everything like that. It's not Blue Mountain State. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that show. <laughs> so uh, so all that being said, is there anything in particular that jumps out to you that you feel makes your podcast special or unique? I've heard us described as a somewhat like mix. We've got that, that WolfNet vibe but also because of like our main metal segments, we've got a little bit of like that, that mech bay vibe. So we're like somewhere in the middle, but also we're our drinks of the month are fun. They all taste terrible. And I, <laughs> I've told Ben, once we get through this initial list, we need to start over, but actually make them good nice. and just rewrite them because the majority of them are terrible. But as for... Well, it must, it's also terrible getting shot by a PPC in real life, so... That, that is fair. <laughs> the, the Pelican Club one or whatever it was, the Pelican shooter that he had uh, the other day for our, was it, episode 11, 10, one or the other? Uh, when we're talking about Solaris. So the the title of the episode was Mech Warrior's Guide to Solaris 7. And literally in that shot is a like a sardine or some something like that. And like that's that's disgusting. No one's going to drink that. That's terrible. Who wrote this? Shame on them. As as for something unique, I think the only thing that we really offer that is unique per se is just a really dedicated local update specific to the Colorado community, of course. And then the drinks of the month. The other discussions we have, you can probably find very, very similar discussions on a few of the other podcasts, but that's for something that's specifically unique to us. It's booze, you know? <laughs> it's booze. Let's <laughs> get drunk. we named ourselves after our bar. So. <laughs> very cool. I got to ask, because you know our podcast is about making mistakes. So do you have a favorite, a most memorable, a most significant Battletech bungle that comes to mind? I've been pondering that all day <laughs> since you gave me the pre-read questions. And that was hard, especially because I play like 90%, if not more, Alpha Strike, which is a much less convoluted and confusing rule set. It's in one book, not five. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think Alpha Strike bungles are a lot. They, they stand out not nearly as large as the classic bungles do. And then like you, you mentioned, like it could be like a lore bungle and that's not necessarily like a tabletop bungle. It could be a, just any bungle Battletech related. That was hard for me to come up with as a primary Alpha Strike player. And that's not to say I haven't made any mistakes on the Alpha Strike table by any means, but they're not, they don't usually stand out to the sheer extent that classic bungles do. I think for me, the favorite bungle that I have exploited per se and it, it's not necessarily like an actual battletech rule so it's a wolfnet rule so for those that don't know wolfnet is a tournament based system and it's an objective based game you score points based on how many objectives you complete and score and that is how everything's tallied right formally called Rampage, now just called Bunkers, because everyone just called it Bunkers, because it was the only mission with Bunkers. <laughs> a lot of people get focused, and it's an Alpha Strikeism. Even if you've got 
no matter what type of scenario it is, a lot of people just turn any Alpha Strike game into a stand-up fight. They just completely forget, I'm going for objectives here. Like, I have a mission to complete. And especially when you're in a very fast-paced game, like a Wolfnet 350 game, because you've got 80 minutes to finish. And that's that's pretty quick. You need to know what you're doing. But a lot of people get that tunnel vision on, I'm just going to kill the enemy. But you score points based on objectives. And your objectives for bunkers, as it's called now, officially, is to destroy the bunkers. So twice now, over the past year, in... Wolfnet events, I have one on a technicality in bunkers because for each 15 points of damage done to a bunker, you get one objective point. And if no objective points have been scored, then it's whoever did the most damage to the bunkers. And so that, hey, this is your final round bell happens, or you've got two minutes or whatever gets announced, and neither side has done any damage to the bunkers. And I'm like, I need to shoot a bunker and I'll shoot the bunker, but I won't do 15 points of damage because I don't know if you've seen Alpha Strike stat cards, even clan ones, they max out around five, four four to five, I think is like the average for a clan unit. And that's typically what I've taken over the past year and a half, two years to 350 events. But yeah, it would take a few units to do 15 points of damage and each bunker has 20 health. So to do that amount of damage, I would need to have a few units left on the table. But by the end of 80 minutes, I've probably got two units left on the table. So one by technicality, because I did more damage to the bunker than my opponent, which feels like a dirty win, but it's it's an objective-based rule. Everyone forgets it, which therefore makes it its bungle in its own way, because you kind of forgot what you were supposed to do. Because you just started seeing red and just started murdering units instead of buildings. In that game, you're supposed to murder buildings. Nobody wants to murder buildings. They want to shoot the stompy robots, which I respect. (laughs) At least twice now, I have won bunkers on that technicality of just having done more damage to the bunker. And therefore, because I won, it's my favorite bunkle. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Very cool. Okay, so now I gotta ask, so obviously you've played a lot of Battletech. You're also ingrained in the lore. So, what is the best mech? That's right, the best mech. There's no, and there's no pussyfooting about this here, buddy. You're gonna tell me the best mech and you're gonna justify it. And everyone that listens to this podcast... 1% will probably agree, and 99% will judge you. But you're going to name the best, and there's no escape. Give it to me. That's fair. Growing up, obviously, I always loved the Timberwolf. It's a freaking beast, and there's no denying that. While playing MechWarrior 4 Mercenaries as a kid, I loved Bushwhacker. But since I've gotten into the tabletop, and even even in Alpha Strike, both sides, whether it's Alpha Strike or Classic, I never make a list without an ice ferret i'm always taking an ice ferret it has been an absolute workhorse for me they are really fast really strong i love mediums and heavies because that's what does the most work those are the guys carrying the team assaults yeah they've got the armor they've got the weapons but man they're crawling lights they definitely especially depending on what rule set you're using lights are kind of weak in alpha strike 
because they're lights. It's like a, it's just paper thin. So two pips, one each armor structure or two armor, one structure, depending on the engine configuration. They're extremely easy to kill. Now lights get better in Alpha Strike if you're using formation bonuses and start throwing in special pilot abilities with recon bonuses and actually let them do what they're supposed to do. But no matter what system you're playing or how many optional rules you're playing, it's the mediums and the heavies that do the work. And I love the Ice Ferret. I know everyone calls it the running refrigerator or whatever because of how it looks. <laughs> I don't care how it looks, man. It does work. All the configurations, they're, whether it's Prime, Alpha, Bravo, or a favorite of mine and Charles, an Ice Ferret J, which is the J is faster because of a supercharger and it's throwing like seven, six short medium. Like it's stupid strong. And it's like a TMM four. It's extremely expensive in points. Do not get me wrong. It is super expensive because of how strong and how hard to hit it is. But I'm going to say on record, the best unit is the ice ferret because it gets stuff done. And so following from that, the world can deduce that you're also directly implying that the clans are superior to the Inner I Spirit, do play clans 90% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, everybody. You heard it here first. <laughs> yep. When I first got into it and I started, like started like actually got my minis and whatnot. And this like once once I got my clan invasion stuff, obviously the majority of everything I got was clan because it was the new thing in the minis my initial paint scheme for all my clan units i went straight custom clan unit with like an aurora borealis camo scheme for those that don't know i love alaska i miss being able to watch the northern lights from my bedroom window and i was like how cool would it be to have like this viking themed clan unit which were pretty much a warrior cast system almost in and of themselves with like an aurora scheme and so that's where that started and then that's yeah i play i play a lot of clans now that camo scheme was very time consuming and so once i finished that cluster and i started the next one i was like i'm gonna go simple and just do a two-tone paint scheme because these aurora camo lines was really really time consuming <laughs> but yeah so it's custom clan unit clan ragnarok for the win they're like ghost bear splinters i haven't actually like written out the head cannon for like their existence per se but it kind of makes sense ish right <laughs> well ice fair for the win that's good to know so if you have any hate mail or disagreement don't bother sending it to bungle tech valhalla clubs where you go you can send it to the valhalla club at outlook.com and i will just send you the stat card for an ice ferret j and be like are you sure about that are you sure about that <laughs> so on that topic if people haven't heard of your podcast and they want to find you they want to listen to you where can they go as far as i know because i'm the one that publishes everything <laughs> we're on every possible streaming service just look up the Valhalla Club. The logo looks like a Viking shield with a couple battle axes over top. We're on, for the longest time, I thought we were on everything but Pandora, but I think we're also on Pandora now. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon, it's on all of it. When I look at the metrics, we're even being listened to on platforms that I didn't even know existed. So clearly stuff's being pushed out to multiple places. <laughs> so we're, we're everywhere. <laughs> 
Awesome. All right. Well, dude, I appreciate you taking the time being here and saying to the world that the Ice Ferret is the best mech. A medium clan mech. Man, what a bold, bold statement. You're the man for making it. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. And let's uh, let's continue to grow this awesome community. I cannot wait for all the stuff to show up in my mercenary Kickstarter that I spent way too much money on. But I am so excited because it's going to further pulse out through all the game stores and just continue to grow. Battletech is in a very prime spot and I'm super excited. Heck yeah, man. I'm Professor Michael, presenting more of The Sphere We Live In. Fire control systems on battle mechs are actually the coordination of a number of advanced computers. Targeting tracking systems integrate feeds from an array of sensors, thermal, electromagnetic, radar, motion detection, gravimetric shadowing, which form a comprehensive battlescape that flows into the battle computer, which in turn parses it and presents it to the piloting for aiming, while also coordinating with the DI computer to keep weapons ready during maneuvering. Once the pilot pulls the trigger, the sophisticated computers are able to bring selected weapons on target and fire. Unfortunately, these systems are still unable to compensate for non-standard gravity or atmosphere, resulting in a loss of accuracy. It is rumored that Federated Sun's researchers are close to cracking this elusive capability. Now you know about the sphere we live in. Hello everybody, welcome back. I am stoked to be joined by Matthew Bloodbath Barons from the Wolfnet Podcast. The legendary Wolfnet Podcast. <laughs> Glad to be here, Nathan. Appreciate you and for the invite. Oh man, no, it's an honor. I'm in the same Discord video chat with you recording this right now. We're all small people. Small people, perhaps, but... People that have been doing it for how long? How long has your podcast been active? I know this answer, but the world may not. Well, I just looked at the numbers. It's been over five years, 63 months, I think. Five <laughs> years. So we got established back in 30 April 2018. I think our first Baby Steps podcast was where we had horrible audio, but we've improved immensely over the years. That is an intense commitment and love for Battletech to be on this journey for five years. We, uh, we've had a lot of help along the way. It's not just one person. It's not just five. It's, it's a whole community, fellow podcasters, Andrew Kroll, Aaron Kroll, Charles Gideon Dirks, and Thomas Kruger, Silent Sea Raven. It's been, uh, it's been a journey. So your story isn't written yet, good sir, but do you have a climax over the previous five years? of uh, for the podcast yeah i'm just curious it just popped to my mind i would say that we ask ourselves that about every year is like do we want to continue and wholeheartedly everybody usually wants to commit to a continuation of it there's really no reason to stop you know life happens but we do usually adapt and we stay flexible sometimes we have some hiatuses where We'll be at training or something or on the job, and that can take some effect. And we usually try and roll with the punches. I would say that we would continue it as long as we're accepted and as long as 
we can provide content because that's pretty much what we're labeled as as content creators. And am I correct that a few of you are military men? We've got at least, uh, yeah, two two combat veterans. You know, I don't know if you can answer this, and I'm just throwing random questions at you now. Shoot. So I'm a Canadian, and you know, Canadian military culture isn't as strong as American military culture. But I've noticed there's a lot of people that are vets or are currently enrolled in the military that are really passionate about Battletech. And I'm wondering what the draw is from that community. Because I know Battletech itself, they've done fundraisers like support our troop fundraisers and stuff like that. What's that connection, if you know it? First off, I would say that you know, every country has a good military establishment and there are plenty of common folks like us that, you know, sign a dotted line and say, we will defend, you know, foreign and domestic and uh, continue our, our family's way of life, you know, no matter if it's rain or shine. And we shout out to those that are on the front lines every day, including family and friends. And we always think about the, the past loved ones that we have lost and we hold them dear. We recognize them and we respect. And I think the the connection that draws some veterans to Battletech play is the strategy, uh, military aspect. Um, the fiction can be pretty abstract sometimes, but they're, they're connecting through fiction and some gameplay with specific units or types of units bears true to, you know, this is fun to the aspect of, of training purposes or staying sharp or continuing something you were trained to be good at looking at a lot of the training aspects of terrain recognition and use um, for avenues of approach, defense, attack, um, numbers of units. Um, you should never attack more with less than three times the amount on a defended position or any type of uh, facility. It plays a huge key role. There are fabulous strategists that are not military, and it, it doesn't matter if you are or not. Everybody can can learn. Um, nobody just is is made this way. You become that, or you learn, and it doesn't have to require that. My children play occasionally, and we you know we play for the aspect of not being too violent, but more like, oh, I beat you, so you go to jail, or you know we're we're playing for candy or something to, to buy the time or getting into crafts with miniatures and paint, using tools and glue and developing some of those fine motor skills, um, working on mathematics with the classic or Alpha Strike side. There's so many different aspects of the game that you can learn and facilitate with. Mm -hmm. Very cool. On the topic of becoming something, how did the WolfNet name become into existence? What's the story behind it? I believe <clears throat> and remember that when we started to look at a podcast, we spent some time looking at possible handles or brand names or just something generic. But I think the Krulls, uh, Aaron and Andrew, uh, cousins, basically were Dragoon, Wolf's Dragoon's fanatics. And their idea of if we have an information or reporting aspect of a podcast, perhaps it would be from an intelligence standpoint. And, you know, looking at the past fiction that's canonized, WolfNet was the intelligence portion of, of Wolf's Dragoon. So I think that's where it kind of stuck. And we tried not to be completely attached to the IP because... 
nobody wants to violate, you know, IP or copyright things. So it's it's kind of like, how can we change this 20% or more and develop something that isn't going to ruffle feathers, but still will be kind of a, a connection and something people recognize. Mm-hmm. So your podcast has been around, obviously mentioned for five years. It's a long time. I'm curious what your podcast aims to bring to the community and also if that's evolved over time. It absolutely has. It has been extremely innovative. I think that over the years, we don't just talk the talk, we walk the walk. They basically call us content creators for a podcast. We've done, what, 62 to 67 episodes, give or take, with smaller ones to fill in some gaps. And we try to do it once a month um, for our free time purposes because it seems like a lot of a lot of podcasts that do it weekly kind of get burned out because they're burning you know the candle at both ends so we try and do it where it's more casual and yet we get plenty of content in but without overworking and making it too difficult besides just having a regular life too mm-hmm. mainly we've settled into interviews updates news events and reporting uh, mostly and we have also, you know, touched base into really heavily an objective-based tabletop tournament format as facilitators. Um, we've been labeled as playtesters and innovators for creating templates, helping with rules. If they don't make sense to the community, we, we ask, you know, we ask those rule makers, what, what does this mean and how is it, how is it actually, how is it developed and how does it actually take place in the system so we don't get it too inaccurate and we help people understand how that works because we're playing the game too and we don't really want to run it wrong we want to make sure that we're helping the game instead of hindering it and i think a lot of people have to recognize that when they play the game that if they get involved with facilitating or helping out or teaching or um, providing content that they keep it pretty accurate because otherwise you stray away and that usually doesn't sit well with, you know, anybody. Very cool. You sort of touched upon it there, but is there something in particular that you think makes your podcast special or unique in the Battletech podcast community? Absolutely. I I think it's more entertaining and invigorating for most, uh, but not all. I mean, it's kind of like we've talked about in the beginning of how many podcasts are out there. When we started, there was basically one. And how do we make one that that helps the game system or helps the fiction? And we'd like to help pioneer um, with different different ways of looking at it. Not just the same way, because everyone has a different taste. Everyone has a different flavor. And if we can provide that niche that people like to get into, then we're going to continue doing that. And with the other content providers, we acknowledge them and respect them too, because they have another flavor that someone else likes. And if people choose that over others, we're okay with that. And on the topic of flavors, our podcast flavor is making mistakes or bungles or being fools in general (laughs) when it comes to the battle tech table. As always. Um, as always. Because we're human. We're human. It's, yeah. We're human. And it's the experience, man. To play Battletech is to make mistakes. Every once in a while, it's a complicated rule base. So I got to ask, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. You're experienced with the game. Is there a particular bungle that comes to mind for you that is a favorite of yours? And that can be 
can be a rule. It can literally be like fiction. It can be whatever you want. Now that, that brought, I, I had a question to myself too. Like, does the question mean from one aspect or like you said, uh, rule sets or the fiction or the IP or anything? And there's a lot of those that are that are favorites that I can think of. I can think of um, specifically where when we first get started, just like anybody else in the classic or Elf Strike set, how how are your how you're accepting and developing the rule set and remembering it because i can remember sitting at you know my parents table with my friends in high school trying to start learning reading the rule set and playing the game and thinking so when we fire our machine guns and there's 200 rounds do we use all the ammo or just <laughs> two points of ammo or one point of ammo per i wish per, per turn and zero heat 200 shots the dream so how well do you acquire and take on the rule set and the knowledge of this is the way that that happens that that mechanic and you know asking rule writers and developers how is this supposed to work and a lot of times there's there's pretty good explanations and examples in the rule sets but other times there are not there's gray areas and that is one of those that niche that we have tried to step into to help um, provide kind of a, a liaison, you know, between the powers that be that write this stuff and the players that use it well or don't use it well. It's like, is this is this making the game more fun or less fun, or is it working right, or are we using it correctly? There are times mm-hmm. when you when you hear in the middle of a tournament or in the middle of gameplay, like I've been playing that rule all wrong this whole time. Like, yep. We've all been there <laughs> and all you do is recognize it and get back on your horse and move forward. What did you land on with how many machine gun bullets you could fire? I think, I think the mistake? first time we played as like teenagers, we just shot the whole ammo bin off and in, in one turn it's like, all right, you take 200 some day or 400 damage or 200 damage. <laughs> and you know, you're left with just a lump of a, of a mech cause they still didn't have, you know, extra light engines or it was, it was funny. They didn't have case. Yeah. <laughs> so. You really start to to learn those things fast because it's just like, wait, wait, this doesn't make sense. This isn't fun anymore. And some of those times, some of those things are correlated where you have a situation in the game and you don't have fun anymore because are you playing the rule correctly? Or is the rule or the mechanic overpowered or too underpowered? And it's just like, well, these guys don't have a chance, you know, snowballs in hell of surviving. Is that relative to the situation maybe maybe not and the biggest thing we've we have been um advocates about is you need to test it you need to test it a lot and if it doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. perhaps you need to ask how and why and when it if it should change sometimes it sits right and sometimes you're not going to change anything so it depends on you know how much you want to take a bite on and 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 try it's not always going to be pansies and and daisies and flowers all day some days it's gonna be i i'm really having a tough time with this and so you reach out to people like hey does this, this make sense to you like oh no 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 we've we we, we did that like th- three years ago and we figured out and we asked and we found out that this is the way it should be played like oh i get it you know the light bulb goes on and you carry on and then you mm-hmm. you know Catch a fish, you feed yourself for a day. Tell, teach people how to fish, and you can feed thousands. Yeah, 
I think I know the answer to if you had the power to retcon one thing in the Battletech universe, what would it be? I assume Oof. it's going to be to allow machine guns to shoot 200 bullets each round. <laughs> but assuming that you can't say that, <laughs> I'll restate the question. Yeah, I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot of things from different people and different opinions that you know everybody else has said, you know, this needs to be changed or that needs to be changed. And I can't really spout for one thing because they all have their place or they all have time on their side to develop. It's not just in stone. Some things can change. You know, the longer the fictional universe goes on or the longer the IP goes on or the longer the gameplay happens, it should develop. And who knows, maybe the game will develop, maybe not, you know, a hundred percent perfectly in our time, on our lifetime, but you know, nothing is perfect. Maybe in the future, it'll be a lot better for my children or their children to play and to read about. One thing that sticks out, I guess. <laughs> I like how you're like so reluctant to say it. Well, I, I still want to be respectful because like any writer or line developer or rules, a rule book writer will, you know, or editor will say, you know, you're not in that position. You, you don't necessarily know what's happening in the mechanic of the process for development. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely true. I, I could spout off opinions all day long, but that doesn't make me any smarter. That doesn't make me, you know, any better or worse. I could, I could talk about combat all day long because I've experienced maybe two active years of it, but that doesn't make me an expert. Yeah. That's just one small piece. But someone who, you know, might spout off about conflict or have an opinion about conflict and, you know, a combat zone who's never been there may have a little bit less to share in their opinion because the philosophy of deconstruction is you don't know <laughs> what you don't know unless you've done it or you've been there. So this answer then will frame this in the utmost respect <laughs> for the developers. We understand it's hard and this is just a personal preference. If you're going to complain, complain to Bungle Tech. Don't complain to Wolfnet. I pressured him to answer this. We'll take any question and we'll take, uh, we'll take any opinion with a grain of salt. Um, even, even our own <laughs> require a grain of salt. You know, nobody's perfect. So... I really enjoy hearing sometimes that, you know, what happened during the jihad? What happened? There's, there's, there's a lot of um, missing decades or more. And you, you see those, those spot checks, you see those um, overviews, and that's fine. You also have to understand possibly that it is a bunch of massacres and planets being obliterated. Mm -hmm. And it's, there's so much like, how do you how do you focus on all that? You probably have to have volumes to explain all of that. Like you hear about the word of Blake, you know, covering the whole jihad. It's massive. Mm -hmm. So how do you how do you do that? Do you give a few snippets, a few overviews, a few fictional stories, a few field documents? You know, there's enough for people to realize. Like, yeah, there was a lot of genocide. So. Let's move on and get to <laughs> the end of that era so we can start, you know, the next. So am I hearing that you would retcon the jihad to not have happened? That's what I hear you're implying. Personal preference. 
I, and that's the question I asked myself, would I? I see. I don't know if I would. You're a philosopher. There are some who would say so. <laughs> I, I just said it, so I, I am one of those some. <laughs> what else you got? <laughs> well, no. I... <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> Cool. Well, that's a, yeah, so that's, that's a, that's a big one. I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's not necessarily retconning the jihad out, but just perhaps. Well, and the other part is I started to ask myself, would it be fiction? Would it be the IP? Would it be gameplay? Mm -hmm. Those are all loaded questions that are fun to dive into. And the rabbit hole does not end at all for any of those subjects that you can deep dive forever. I've seen players at this last Gen Con just, what, weeks ago, where they were basically debating at the table, bantering back and forth for, what, uh, two and a half hours or an hour and a half during our uh, doubles tournament, where basically it was, like, which came first? This rule or this rule? How does it play out? How, what is the mechanic? How does it stack? And, and you know, having the, the judges watch over, like, are you guys going to continue to play? Or are you going to, like... And as you just see both of them not even look at him, just like, it, like we're busy here debating this while they play. <laughs> and that is, that is the epitome of a fun for Wolfnet because if, whether you play the game for fun or whether you play the game for being, you know, semi-serious, we don't want it to be too serious because then people get a little rough. Mm -hmm. We'd rather have, we'd rather have, you know, our, our primary rule is have fun and don't be a dick. And, and I think that is that is the epitome of the work that, you know, the five of us and countless other people who have helped to provide and inspire us. That's 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 the name of the that's the name of our uh, is have fun and just enjoy the time because, you know, I've been told once before we don't count time. We make time count and the time you spend with people, whether it's even just you and I at this time is well worth its weight mm -hmm. because you establish connections, you establish friendships, you establish rapport, uh, you work together for the better of a cause. You know, there are some out there that, that will sit there and be, you know, pretty rough to work with. And they just haven't found that mindset or that emotional set or that, that direction of, you know, it's, Sometimes you can play casual and casual is fun. Oh yeah. Uh, competitive can be fun as well. And if you can live in both those worlds of casual and competitive play, you're going to have a blast. If you have trouble, ask what other players are doing, find out how they deal with it. It's fun. Mm -hmm. So if people want a sip of the Wolfnet soda, they haven't had a sip yet. Somehow they've heard about Bungle Tech, but they haven't heard about Wolfnet. In that rare chance, where can they find you and listen? Where can they get on board the Wolfnet train? Or do they just look up at the midnight sky, howl, and then they're automatically connected? <laughs> that was the that was one of the uh, topics of Gen Con where uh, Charles Gideon Dirks had asked, like, <laughs> you send a wolf howl, I'll send it back. And it worked. It worked. You Really? You're in Gen Con it's, it's, it's wolf howling? Its, it's in its infant stage oh. of having you're around 10,000 people. Do you want to interrupt their games by <laughs> exactly. howling ridiculously loud and invigorating? <laughs> or do you give a little, you know, Kit Fox wolf howl? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh. But 
you can reach us at WNRP at WolfStreetGoons.com, YouTube, Discord, Tabletop Simulator, Patreon, Facebook, Queensboro. Uh, it gets kind of weird when you say there's a clothing line. Well, yeah. Um, but it's, you know, completely unique. That's cool. I didn't know that. And we always we always tell people have a, a great evening and a pleasant tomorrow because we hope when we look forward to tomorrow, we don't dwell on the past. Mm-hmm. Well, my friend, this has been good. This has been really interesting. And I really appreciate you taking the time being here and sharing your story and your wisdom with the Bungle Tech audience. I know they need a little more wisdom than what we offer. So, <laughs> so it's... No, I think you're doing fine. I want to thank you for the time and opportunity, Nathan. It's been a blast. And I wish you luck and pleasant uh, long life of a podcast. Thank you, good sir. Let's end this in a howl. Wolf that form up. You you at the end of that, the end of that howl, you practiced that, obviously. You got throaty. It was really good. It's more fun sometimes when you get a growl. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, thank you for your time today. I'm Professor Michael, presenting more of The Sphere We Live In. Star League Day is the most sacred holiday celebrated among the clans. It marks the assassination of Lord Richard Cameron. In general, the day is marked by widespread violence and rioting across clan and inner sphere worlds. Now you know about The Sphere We Live In. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. And I'm now joined with the glorious Lee from the Calgary Battletech League. Thank you for joining me today, Lee. Hi, do everybody. So, Lee, I think I've already told you this, but the Calgary Battletech League was one of my chief inspirations, actually, to create Bungle Tech. So I'm really excited to have you guys here. You rekindled my inspiration in Battletech full force. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. The, actually, the whole purpose of starting the Calgary Battletech League, the league, as well as the Calgary Battletech League YouTube channel, was to inspire people to play more and to get out and play and just create communities. Your podcast is a little bit unique because it's also connected to the league and you also manage a variety of podcasts. So how long has your podcast channel been active? Well, when we first started back in 2021 for the third iteration of Calgary Battletech League, because there's been three versions of it, we wanted to provide the players with something more than just a website where they saw the information or a Facebook page. The original league had a website where the scores were posted, where the scouting reports were laid out, where the after action reports were typed out. And Stu Angevine, who had started the league, he used to do these interviews and he would send one of the players of the league a list of questions. And then he would play the interview and it was all written out. None of it was audio. And he would purposely mess up their answers to make it funnier. So he would take the core, the core of the question and then twist it to make it funny. And that was so entertaining. I loved that part. It, it was, it was amazing to have that kind of feeling like you were in a bigger group just than the 24 players that we had. And, and the other thing about it was it made you feel like more part of the community. You looked forward to the day that you'd be interviewed. Very cool. So, that, so in 2021, when we first started it, we decided to try podcasting. And yeah, I know YouTube really is not really a podcast. It's 
whatever video video channel whatever we call it a podcast and we wanted to provide the players more content and it's worked out pretty good it's expanded way more than we thought it was going to it's not huge we don't have a ton of subscribers we're sitting at just under 270 right now but you know what more than the 30 players that we have in league i think we're doing fantastic to have that many viewers that's great and how long has the league in general been active for See, that's the thing. There's been three iterations of League. The first one started in 1999 and ran for six seasons, so ended in 2006. Um, that was under uh, Stu and myself. I ran the last season of that. For the people who are in the Calgary area, you might know Bruce Ford. He's one of the major catalyst agents for the area. He and I started uh, restarted the League up 2012 or something like that after about a five, six-year hiatus. That ran for four seasons. And then we uh, started up again in 2021 with Brett and myself running it. And that's, we're now moving into the third season starting in two and a half weeks. Awesome. Very, very cool. So you obviously run a variety of different podcasts. What's the story behind all their names? Okay. Well, first off, it's the CBL channel, Calgary Battletech League channel. That one was kind of easy to figure out because the product was supposed to be for the players. Then we decided partway through the first season of doing the show well we wanted a name for it so we called it uncivil discourse because it's supposed to be combat so it's not very civil so that's where we ended up calling it that and it, we wanted it to be a bit of a uh, um, sports net type of thing so there's different versions on different channels that you see that we wanted to provide something similar mm -hmm. one of our shows for the first season was killbox that was from Jacques, who was voiced by one of our players john and he wanted to do a coach's corner or Don Cherry-esque like thing. So we did that. They were 15 minute shorts. And partway through that season, even I think it all kind of came together in the first season, we ended up with Ramble Tech, which was our way of just being able to come forward and just talk about Battletech. It didn't have to be league related. It just had to be something that we enjoyed about originally Battletech. And we slowly stretched out to other forms of gaming too. Very cool. We already discussed it, you already touched upon it a little bit, but let's elaborate more about specifically what your podcast aims to bring to the community. That has to be broken down among the shows as well, because Uncivil Discourse is kind of focused on League members. We're trying to bring them the news and changes that have occurred from the last game day to the upcoming game day. And the purpose of that was to provide information, to provide some entertainment, and to basically just increase the community in Calgary. Calgary's a little bit of a clicky is not the right word for it. I just think a lot of the Calgary Battletech community just doesn't know about each other. So we figured by getting on YouTube, that might get some word out. We advertise on almost every Facebook channel that we can find that we have this channel and we do it to spread the word. Rambletech was just Brett's and my way of showing our love to the game and to uh, just talk our ideas. Like we both have completely different viewpoints on certain tech, on certain ways of playing. And we just wanted to bring people's attention to that. Yeah, everybody plays differently, but everybody can enjoy the way they play. And Killbox, the aim for that one was literally just pure entertainment. John wanted to do something fun. I thought he had a great persona with Jacques. So I wanted to promote that as just something to listen to for five, 10 minutes and get a laugh. I think I could answer this question, but... I'm going to direct it to you. <laughs> so what makes your podcast channel special or unique? 
one because it's focused very specifically to the Calgary Battletech League, with the other shows kind of spreading that out to other other people. The other thing that makes it unique is that we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> like I, I think that's <laughs> we're not professional in any way, shape, or form. We we do our best to try to keep some form of a flow, but that's why we do Rambletech too. We can just go on all weird tangents. We we just enjoy doing it. We're having fun with it, and I'm just hoping people enjoy listening to it. Very cool. The question of the day. What is your favorite or most memorable Battletech bungle? Gee, there's so many of them. Um, do you know what a stack pull is? I do. Okay, so they've recently changed it and made it way weaker. But the very first time I ever did a DFA, taking a Phoenix Hawk and DFAing a Battlemaster. And, of course, everybody else is still shooting at the Battlemaster. And somebody hit the ammo bin of the machine gun ammo in the uh, Battlemaster. And, of course, bullets are flying everywhere, internal damage. And the mech stack pulled from the, the engine hits. So we were trying to figure out, well, what happens to this poor Phoenix Hawk that's jumping into the fireball that was once this Battlemaster? And it's the first time I've ever seen a mech actually take the full stack pull damage other than the mech that's actually stack pulling. Because the damage is 100% the engine rating in the hex that's in, or at least it used to be. And then half, 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 half. Yeah, this poor Phoenix Hawk ate like 360 points of damage. It was just nothing. It was just vapor. <laughs> Did you ever DFA again? I don't DFA. It's a desperation move. It's not intended to be a actual combat tactic. The Highlander burial is a myth. It's as bad for the mech doing it as it is for the mech receiving it. So, yeah, no, I don't DFA if I can avoid it. I'll do it if I have no more weapons or it's the last ditch, last round. I gotta beat this guy. Yeah, otherwise I refuse. Well, this next question is perfect for you. Because you run a competitive Battletech league. So you should know what the optimal urban mech loadout is. What is it? See, this is the problem. You're asking me to bite on the meme that I don't even agree with. I hate urban mechs, but the most optimal one is the Arrow 4. It's basically you're paying for the Arrow 4, right? Like that's that's what you're paying for. It's an Arrow 4 with legs. It's <laughs> extreme and it's useful. Like really, when you think about it, it's a technical. Like it's, a, it's a truck with a machine gun bolted on it. Well, it's a mech. It's a loader mech with an artillery piece loaded on it. So I like the one with the Arrow 4 because you don't have to be fast. You can get to where you're going to go and just stand there and hit the big red button and fire the cruise missiles at your opponent five mapwards away. And you don't have to worry about anybody coming at you. Okay. Well, if that's the optimal urban mech loadout, what is the optimal urban mech pilot name? You know, I was thinking about this for quite a while because um, you did give me the questions a little bit ahead of time. So I'd be slightly aware of them. This one I had to think about for quite a while. I would name him Oscar T. Grouch. <laughs> oh that's great actually there must be a meme with that out there with oscar the grouch popping out of a urban mech the most recent one i've seen was a tracked uh recycle bin with a machine gun strapped to it awesome well i must admit that i was seduced by the Irby a long time ago i don't know how it happened and it is a deep dark shame of mine but it exists. It exists. People can enjoy what they like. And you know what? There are places for the urban mech. I just don't understand the absolute fascination with it. It's like at one point in time, the charger was everybody's fascination mech that they were going to make this charger work. And back in the day, I've been playing this game a long time. The technical limitations of what the tech they provided you to be able to build 
you could not make a charger work and it still be a charger turned into something else as soon as you started playing with it so mm. seeing people fall in love with the urban mech you know great all the power to you it's just not my thing <laughs> so if people want to find your stuff and listen to it is youtube the best place Absolutely. We do dabble with Spotify and stuff like that. We haven't really got very far into that, but yeah, YouTube is the best place to find it. I mean, you can also find us on Facebook, either through the Calgary Battletech Facebook group or the Calgary Battletech League Facebook group. And we post uh, all of our links to our videos there. And then of course, YouTube under the Calgary Battletech League. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to do this. And thank you again for facilitating and managing a league that is it's very detail-oriented. It's so clear that you guys put so much heart and administrative volunteer effort into it. It's just amazing. From my knowledge of the Battletech world, and from what I've seen about, you know, different tournaments, different organizations, it has to be one of the most well-driven and passionate competitive communities out there, in my opinion. So thank you for all your volunteer efforts. Thank you for being there and making me realize, because like I said, I was one of those silos that thought no one else played Battletech until I walked into all these Battletech players. I'm like, oh my God, it exists. It's the promised land. And like I said, Calgary's got actually a huge Battletech community. It's just, we don't seem to know where the other ones are. I just recently learned about the ones at Imaginary Games. Yeah. That's a big group there. Like there's a bunch of people in Calgary doing it. So it's just a matter of continuing to reach out and build that community. And I'm glad we were able to help you, Nate. Heck yeah. Well, Lee, you honor me being here. Thank you very much for your time today. Oh, it's a major pleasure being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm Professor Michael, presenting more of the sphere we live in. The 50-ton Raider is an experimental battle mech designed and built by Banson Universal Unlimited. Unfortunately, due to challenges during development, BUU was unable to develop a viable fusion reactor and could not secure a source of assembled reactors for use with the prototypes. Instead, the mech was redesigned around a 200-rated internal combustion engine. Though unconventional, the mech proved moderately successful as a cheap and effective frontline trooper. Now you know about the sphere we live in. Welcome back, everybody. I'm super excited because I am now joined with Shrapnel from Battletopia Stories. Shrapnel, how you doing, man? I'm all good. Thanks, buddy. How are you? Very well. Thank you very much. Especially because I have you here, a fellow fiction reader. Hey. Yeah. We like to read words. We love to read words. We read words so you don't have to. <laughs> I know people hate to read words, so I will read words for them. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about your podcast. How long has your podcast been active for? I actually had to look this up because I had no idea. I started it apparently on the 11th of February, 2022, which means I've missed my one year anniversary by quite some time. Okay. So you're a year and a half in. Yeah. Can't believe it's been going that long already. And you release stories quite frequently. I think you like post a story almost once every two weeks or something like that. I try to. I've slowed a bit down recently because life's been taking the front seat. But I hope to get back in. And I was doing one a week at one time, which was pretty hectic. I imagine. I think the most I've done was 32 in two and a bit weeks, which was the um, Tukiid run. Ah, uh, yes, I remember listening to that. It's very fun. 
that was manic. <laughs> I imagine. So what does your podcast aim to bring to the community? It's for people that don't want or don't have time to listen to the long form stories because Battletech's been around for so long now in every single source book. There's always a couple of tales in there that no one, no one reads or remembers, but actually they're, they're quite pivotal to how everything fits together. So I just thought, oh, this is really cool. It fills in lots of little blanks. If you go on Sana, you'll see loads of references that no one ever looks up and it's been summarized in like a word or a sentence. So I just thought, eh, we'll bring that in. People can press play. It's six, 10 minutes long, whatever. Some of them are only two and a half. And it's just something to listen to. Keep the juices flowing for Battletech. Do you have a lore focus? I mean, everything you do is obviously lore because Battletech is a fictional universe. Yeah. But sometimes I, I think you've done some readings on the actual mechs. Sometimes you've done more stories like focused on your Tukiyid, for example. Is there a specific focus you have in this area regarding the type of fiction and lore you like to share? Nope. I just tried to cover the, the whole thing. I started off just doing the stories. And then I did the Hellbringer, I think it was, the Sana's Bad Mech article. I enjoyed the story at the beginning because it was like the proper old radio tales that you used to listen to. Mm-hmm. And I just heard it in my head. So I just made it. So I'm now working with Sana doing a couple of those. That's more like the law based, but everything else is just story, really. I'm trying to stay away from the law. Everyone does the law and there's some very good people that I can't compete with. So I'm just not even going to bother. I much prefer the story stuff. So on the topic of stories, what's the story behind your name? It's a weird one. I couldn't think of anything. So I tried loads of random name generators and then one night, my wife just went, oh, Battletopia. I went, that's kind of cool. And then we throw stories on the end of it because the original plan was to cover lots of different gaming systems. So I was going to do 40K, I was going to do Fantasy, I was going to do Battletech, and I've just fallen down the Battletech ladder completely. And I don't think I've done anything else but Battletech so far. I will one day, but I'm really enjoying Battletech stuff right now. It's just sucked me in. Actually, today I double-checked your channel's description. I'm like, 40K. I'm like, yeah, don't read the description, people. Don't read the description. <laughs> I was like, looking through, I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is all Battletech. <laughs> and yeah, it's 100% Battletech. Maybe you warm up behind the scenes by reading a 40K story, and then you're like, but I'm not going to record this. I only record the good, cool lore. <laughs> I do like the Battletech style of writing, just the, just the short stories. 40K is a lot more involved and grim, dark, and... Sometimes it's, it's hard because it's always space marines shouting at things. Battletech, you have a lot more nuances. You can follow an elemental. You could follow a mech warrior that's walking around a, a mech bay instead of fighting. There's you know, a bit of everything. So I just think it's a lot more range involved in the stories. One thing I've actually been curious about is, so in my podcast, I, I read stories focused on Shrapnel, the official Battletech magazine. I don't think I've seen you read a story from Shrapnel. Have you? I have done one, which was requested by someone in the comments. It's Doc Benz from Shrapnel 4, I think it was. It's my longest running one, 45 minutes, I think, all in all. That's long. Yeah, that was, I was way out of my depth when I made that. I'm happy to admit now. I feel like it's sort of a missed opportunity. Shrapnel reading shrapnel stories. You know what I mean? I didn't even know shrapnel was real until later on when I picked my shrapnel name. I knew something about Battletech, but nothing recent. I just went, oh, that sounds cool. And then I found out about the magazine after people going, do you do this? It's like, no. That's funny. 
So what makes your podcast especially unique? I've tried to go away from narrative stories and lobbing in some sound effects to bring up the immersion. So, you know, you can kick back and not always listen to this voice. You can have, you know, a couple of pew-pews in the background, a bit of atmospheric music. Like I say, I, I fell in love with the old radio stories like the Charles Chilton's Journey into Space and that kind of thing. You know, when they did it live on radio and they added in the music and everything, I was trying to capture that little bit of magic, which hopefully I've done. People tell me I've done, but I don't know. I always try to do a little bit better on each reading, something a bit different and change it up. Well, I definitely think that you're correct that audio productions are sort of radio dramas. Yeah. Are few and far between in the podcast community. Really, it's only, from my experience, it's you and me that are actually really doing that stuff because it's a lot of work. Like adding sound effects. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I think on Doc Ben's, I spent an hour doing three minutes on one part of it. That's very believable. Yeah. Yeah. By the time you've sourced all the sounds and you've mixed it down and you leveled everything and you queued everything and it was just like, wow. <laughs> Committed now, baby. Going from like three minutes to 40 odd it was just, oh, it was, it was a learning curve. For sure. You know, our podcast is focused on making mistakes. So I have to ask you, because it's on our brand, what your favorite Battletech bungle is or has been? This is where it's going to be a bit disappointing for you, I think, because I'm a member of a relatively new group. We've been going for about a, a year and it's a mix of completely new guys like myself and then the old guys, but the old guys haven't played for a while. So they're using it as an experience to basically like upskill and update their knowledge whilst we're learning at the same time. So there's a lot of, we basically live in the books because I'll ask a stupid question. And they'll go, oh, I think it's this. And then someone else will go, oh, no, no, it's this. And then we have to go to Total War and read up on it. We haven't made that many bungles, fortunately, so far. We've done some small ones. Like, um, I don't know why. I thought quads could push. I thought that would make sense because it's basically like a shoulder charge, isn't it? A push, I think you need hands to do it. Yeah, and the rules, I think. Yeah, you, you read the fluff and it's like, it describes it as a shoulder charge kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I ran a scorpion up a hill to go push a commando off a level three cliff into the water. And then I found out when I got there, I couldn't do it. And it got shot to hell. That's about the, the worst I've done so far. Because we're all learning at the same time, we, we're pretty much living in the books. And we haven't gone to advanced rules yet because that's just scary. <laughs> Someone in our group just wants advanced rules for the arrow and artillery. He's not happy with like battlefield support points. He wants the proper things on the board. Sorry, we haven't, we haven't fluffed up yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Running up the hill and, and failing to push. I mean, that commando must have been scared shitless for a few seconds. Like, oh my God, he's running up. He is a master plan in his head. And they just stop and froze and stared him down. He's like, oh, I guess I'm in a large laser, you now. Pew. My opponent just sat there smugly and went, you can't do that. And I went, what? That bastard. Smugly. What do you mean I can't push? Every, surely every mech can push. This guy died in the end anyway. <laughs> Got shot. So as an individual who's ingrained in the lore and the stories, this question is perfect for you. In your opinion. Okay. And I want your opinion. I want your factual opinion. I want you to deliver this like this is a factual thing, even though it's your opinion. Forget I said opinion. I'll do it in my best BBC accent. <laughs> Which faction or leader should control Terra? No clanner. 
and Innisfer Houses Prince Julian from Fedcom. It's about the only one I would go for right now in the Eel Clan era. Ah, oh, damn. Send your hate mail to Nathan, not me. He asked. <laughs> he said it factually. It was an opinion question. <laughs> Why did he say it factually? <laughs> uh, I really struggle with the great houses. I love all the stories around them, but I can't get behind any of them, really. When it comes to the, the Ill Clan era, I haven't read huge amounts around it, but I'm, I really struggle with the whole new Star League Ill Clan thing right now. I need to do a lot more reading. I need a lot more time to read. <laughs> Maybe I'll do some stories. That's the only way I can do it. Well, who do you reckon should rule Terra then? Uh, it's not about me. It's, it's about you. Oh, 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 no, come on, come on, go on. Put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> I think <laughs> that yes, they should retcon some things. And one of my favorite characters should take control of Terra. And who's that? And that's Catherine Steiner Davian. I don't know much about Catherine Steiner Davian. She's like Cersei. She's like oh. she's like the worst of the worst. <laughs> she's so evil and she's so arrogant and she's so cocky and I love her so much. Just put her in control of Terra. It's going to be so much fun, guys. Well, if we're doing retcons, bring back Word of Blake. They can have terror. There you go. Well, that's probably more political than Catherine Steiner Dave. Word of Blake. Okay, <laughs> there we go. From Shrapnel. Word of Blake are just misunderstood. Once again, that's Battletopia Stories. You can send your hate mail yep. to him. <laughs> um. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> yeah, don't send hate mail. Just send random symbols and then he'll interpret it. Oh, no, it. please don't. <laughs> oh, dot, dot, dot. What could that be implying? Oh, someone's sending me knives. <laughs> Wonder what that's about. That's Catherine. Oh, Catherine sent you those in case you're wondering. When Catherine heard, you said Word of Blake instead of her. I'm going to have to read up on her now. Oh, she's so much fun and so... This is the problem. Do you find this a Battletech? You, you hear a name and you're like, oh, I'll just go to Sana. And you go to Sana, you read up on her, and then it's just like another little link, then another one, then another one, then another one, then another yeah. one, and then another one. And you're like, oh, an hour's gone. It's endless. What have I learned? <laughs> Too much information to retain. And as well, the, like, the wiki format is, is great for specific stuff, but oh, sometimes you need to be lost in the story to really appreciate the character. Like, if I read Absolutely. Catherine on Sarna, I mean, she's clearly a bad guy, but I love her because of how she acts. Oh, she's just so entitled. And she's just, she thinks she's the smartest, but she's not. And she blames everybody else, but she is good at certain. Oh, yeah. She's just a great antagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Like, literally, she's Cersei before Cersei was a thing. So she's space Cersei. Yeah. This is what I love about Battletech. It's all so nuanced and there's so much behind every character. It's even like the throwaway ones. There's huge amounts of character behind them. That's the only reason I went with Prince Julian. I was having a quick search this morning. Basically, he just leads from the front and he never wanted to be Prince. And he's just like, put me in a battle mech. I don't want to be Prince. He's like, no, no, you go lead the charge and reclaim New Avalon and all the other places that you've just lost. It's like, okay, you know, he loses a leg. He loses an eye. He gets beat up. He gets four mechs shot out of him in the campaign. And that's just on Sana in one paragraph. And now I'm just like, I need to know more. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know him before this. Crazy. Very cool. Yeah. So if people want to hear your podcast, they want to hear your stories, where's the best place they can find you? You can find me on YouTube, so Batatopia Stories. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple. 
I'm on most of the podcast platforms. Um, we'll be on Amazon soon, hopefully. So just give us a search. I've got an Insta if you want to see some behind the scenes stuff and some of the games I play and everything else. That's um, Bastopia Stories too on Insta. YouTube is my main thing though, right now. If you want to see some pretty pictures to go with stuff. All right, dude. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. This has been awesome fun. Thank you for having me on. I, I love you guys on the podcast. <laughs> it keeps me entertained no end. <laughs> <laughs> you honor us, good sir. I've got to say as well, your readings just like, I listen to it and I just go, he's so good. <laughs> There's no jealousy. It's just rage. <laughs> rage. Perfect. <laughs> rage. Perfect. You'll fit right into the universe that Catherine Steiner rules. Long live Catherine. Long live Catherine. Let's make it happen, CJL. Come on. <laughs> Bring her back. <laughs> make her immortal somehow. I don't know. Word of Blake turned her into a cyborg after she's been frozen for a bit or something. There we go. Put her on a massive throne. She can't leave it. Basically writes itself, doesn't it? There we go. And everyone's happy. And every, then literally, literally, then everyone is happy. Planners go away. Hey, perfect. She actually sort of allies with Clan Wolf. So oh, boo. They can, they can stay, but rename them Clan Lapdog. Clan Pup. <laughs> cool, man. Well, this has been super fun. Thank you so much for the time. Awesome. Thank you for having me on. I'm Professor Michael presenting more of The Sphere We Live In. The venerable Nunchaku are a primitive but deadly weapon which sometimes sees use in the Draconis Combine. Though simply a pair of wooden or metal rods joined by a chain, they can inflict injuries comparable to a katana, although they lack any sort of armor-penetrating capabilities. Now you know about The Sphere We Live In. Welcome back, everybody. I'm now joined with a legendary Carrie from the Unicorn Company podcast. Carrie, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It is truly a pleasure to have you here. Your podcast has been around for quite a while, I believe. I know you have quite a few episodes. How long have you been active for? I've been doing it for about two years. I started it because of uh, WolfNet. Nice. So I have to ask, uh, what's the story behind your name? Well, the name, it, it comes from a couple things. One, I like historical stuff, and I was playing Napoleonics for a while, and I learned about a type of unit called a unicorn battery, which was a type of artillery battery. And if you look in Battletech, you have, like, light horse, you have, you know, heavy cav, light cav, curious sares, you have all these different unit types and they generally don't really translate that well from historical to battle tech and there weren't any unicorn but uh unicorn type units and i was like you know i like unicorns um <laughs> it's an easy mascot to do also in part scottish and the national animal of scotland is the unicorn which i think is awesome they, they picked a mythical creature as their national animal i did not know that. that's rad you know england has the lion and scotland's like yeah, no, we get the unicorn. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that's pretty much what led to the name. And um, the actual, the unicorn on our logo is called Morrigan, which is in memory of one of my partners who passed away. She had gotten me a unicorn for Valentine's Day one time. And 
I named it Morgan. It was like, all right, this is Morgan. So kind of to remember her, the unicorn on the logo is partially a representation of the gift she got me like three, four years ago. Wow. That's a super beautiful and cool way to honor someone's legacy. Yeah, I, I think so. And it's it's something little I can do that hopefully helps remember her, at least for me. Well, now everyone else's logo is stupid and in comparison to yours. <laughs> no one else had meaning for the logo like that. So you win. So I'm curious, you say that from a historical perspective, unicorn battalions or what were they called? Um, they were unicorn batteries. They were a type of artillery battery. They were used by, I want to say the French and the Russians during the Napoleonic era. And the unicorn was the type of gun that they used or had referenced the type of gun that they used. But yeah, like I want to say there's, what is it? Oh, I can't remember the unit, unit name now, but there's a Curiosaires unit. And Curiosaires were a type of French infant, uh, French cavalry. So I feel like it's fitting that I should pull something from historical context to be part of that name. Mm -hmm. Even though, yeah, no, I, I don't use artillery ever, but what the hell? <laughs> That's cool. I mean, unicorns are great. Have you seen, I think it's called the movie, I, forget, I always forget her name. Brie Larson, Unicorn Store, I think it's about. I have not seen that. No. It's actually very, very fun. I'd recommend it. Samuel L. Jackson. I, I know I'm pronouncing her name wrong. Brie Larson. I think I am. I love her. But anyhow, it's, it's a really fun movie. It really captures the magic of the unicorn. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So what does your podcast aim to bring to the community? Everyone's a little bit different. And I want to hear your perspective. The main thing is a different perspective a lot of the podcasts out there are very much biased towards a a viewpoint from guys but yeah you have everything ranging from the the extreme vitriol neckbeard to just normal guys but it's all dudes i want to say the only other podcast and it's pretty recently that i've seen them come out is battle babes um out of canada and it's fun listening to them and listening to explore, you know, explore the, the game as they get into it. I've been around a really long time. So for me, it's not so much exploring, like getting into it, but exploring things that I've already seen and dealt with in the community. Um, and I want to be able to not only introduce Battletech to hopefully people who wouldn't listen, who wouldn't have heard of it, but also... The other thing about it is it's for people like me, for LGBTQ players, it's something that they can listen to and relate to mm -hmm. and lets them know that they are accepted in the community, regardless of what some people may say or do. I think it's your mandate where you are about making Battletech more inclusive. That's one of your, your goals, I believe, in the description of your podcast, correct? Oh, exactly. Yes. I want it to be far more inclusive than what we've seen. And part of that is from my experience at conventions and games in person. And another part of it comes from having seen the discourse over on the 40K side when they started flipping out about what they would refer to as hobby tourists and all that, where like somebody might bring up female space Marines and they totally lose their, their minds. So, you know, having seen that discourse and how bad it got over at the 40K side of things, there needs to be some kind of voice that's not, you know, not that. It's definitely a, a heavily laden bro voice podcast mm -hmm. community. Yeah, it's interesting because when you're talking about inclusion in Battletech, I, I understand that the, the Battletech community in, in general and a collective 
seems to be very inclusive and definitely that's the the messaging especially the messaging from catalyst which is really interesting but i've always found it interesting how the you know the lore and the writing is it's old school still you know it like mm-hmm. like i don't like how many you know non-heterosexual characters are there in the battletech universe are there many like none come to mind to be honest well there's not many i don't know if you've read fox tales i haven't but i've heard of it that entire group that entire mercenary unit is either full-on lgbtq or they are allies i see that's cool it is absolutely awesome they actually dropped the logo for uh fox patrol today or yesterday Brian Young had it on his Twitter. He wrote that book and it's it is very inclusive and it's awesome. And what's funny is like even without the LGBTQ representation, BattleTech as a whole, you have like a matriarchal society in the uh, magistry. You have you've had several women as rulers in the Lyran Commonwealth. Heck, one of the main characters in was it Wolves on the Border, I believe, was a black samurai. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, we can have all this. We should be able to have queer characters in the universe as well. I mean, it shouldn't bat, nobody should bat an eye at that. Yeah, I sort of think that, you know, the literature is pretty old. Like there's new stuff coming out, obviously, for example, like Fox Tales, but the old stuff, you know, really struggled with lots of these stereotypes. And I think it was in the Renegade HPG podcast, they were interviewing an old writer and he was saying he came in to combat the concept of the yellow menace uh-huh. that was being presented. Yeah, I've just always wondered about the characters because I only can think of one character that was identified as trans in the Battletech universe. And that was from actually the Harebrained Schemes video game. I remember it was a pilot that you could get. Yeah. Anyhow, they were pretty cool. But uh, that was, I remember it came to me at my attention and I was like, when I was reading it, I'm like, oh, and then I thought to myself, I'm like, wow, you're right. Like the fact that I saw it and it, it was flagged to me, I was like, wow, there really is or does seem to be underrepresentation. And that's exciting to hear that there's actually, you know, other stories coming out and different voices being told. So that's nice. Yeah. In fact, I'm okay. So I don't know if this counts as another trans character. I am in, you know, the little booklet you get with uh, the clan invasion source book, the little story. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Bonds of battle. I am in there. <laughs> You're in there as like a character, like a character in the universe. Yes. Oh, cool. Uh-huh. It's before I changed my last name. It's when it used to be Schumar. And in there, it refers to me in the feminine and everything. And then, of course, they flubbed up and referenced me as a he. So. I like to think that maybe I was, I am a trans character in the Battletech universe at least <laughs> That's during cool. the clan invasion. Were you part of the clans or the Inner Sphere? Uh, Inner Sphere. I was with the, and I really want to, I want to eventually write a shrapnel story about it. I'm in the DCMS on, oh, I can't remember the name of the world. It's the one where they poisoned the water supply to try to kill off the clans. Hmm. Not thinking the clans might know how to purify water. <laughs> And I'm like a, a 2E, I believe, in the DCMS of all places. So I really want to eventually expand on that. And there's part of me that's like, you know, it'd be interesting to be the one that does the poisoning, only to find out that this doesn't work. Yeah. And I wonder how the DCMS, like what their culture is regarding gender, because it's based on sort of the traditional sort of Japanese, core Japanese imperialistic sort of ideologies. 
the way I've seen it depicted, the higher you get in the society, like the closer you are to the coordinator, the more it is like ancient imperial Japan, where people are wearing kimonos and and um, the you know the the makeup and everything for formal occasions. And but then as you start get, getting down to the common person, it depicted like seems more to be like, can you do your job and presentation is probably just like depending on how you present up until you get to the royal court i don't think anybody at least in the military part is going to care if, as long as you can do your job cool yeah so we sort of touched upon it already but specifically is there something else you'd like to call out regarding what makes your podcast special or unique in your eyes so i i also i listened to a lot of texts and one thing i noticed with him was that he always had like saint jude or something as like a you could, a donate link and Instead of doing that, I've actually used the podcast as a platform to raise money for the Trevor Project for the past, this year and last year. Between the two years, we've raised about $15,000, and we do a raffle for the uh, for a bunch of Battletech products. We had, like this year, um, I don't remember all the sponsors, but we did have Catalyst on board with us. Wow. Which was awesome. Last year, we had Michael Stackpole. Oh, God. He sent us a... First edition printing signed of the Warrior Trilogy. Whoa. Yeah. That was something that I had in my hands. It was like when Indy gets to touch the grail, <laughs> you know, it's like, I can't keep it, but I am touching it. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, that's that's a lot of money in two years, especially. That's a, it's a huge charitable donation. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm still getting all the addresses to mail out all the prizes. Right now, I've got people in Scotland uh canada and the u.s who won this year but yeah i do it's internationally available to whoever wants to enter and you know sometimes it's like in the back of my head there is always the oh please don't be really expensive to mail (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 It, it, it always surprises me too i remember i once uh shipped a video game to an australian friend from canada and Mm -hmm. i was like wow this was remarkably more expensive than I thought it would be. But at the same time, it is going all the way to Australia. So I can understand. I can understand. Well, that's like, I remember a couple of years ago, I, I do uh, commission painting and stuff. I had someone commission some stuff. I bought the minis for him and everything. And he was in Canada and I went to mail it. And it was during COVID. And they were like, yeah, Canada's not accepting mail right now. And I'm like, hold up, what? Oh, yeah, I remember. We weren't accepting mail from the States for a while. Yeah. Yep. So like international shipping can get really fun sometimes when it's like a country's like, yeah, no, we're not, we're not taking your mail. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, let me, let me let the person know and we'll figure this out. <laughs> That's hilarious. Damn Canada. Blame Canada, man. That South Park <laughs> song was right. Oh, so I have to ask, do you have a favorite Battletech bungle or mistake that pops to mind? Something that really has stuck with you across the years? Okay, so there's two of them, if you don't mind. One's Battletech, one's Alpha Strike, which I focus a lot on Alpha Strike. The Battletech one is when I first started playing. So I was like 14, 15, and I somehow got my friend to play with me. And <laughs> we did not understand ammunition properly. Okay. So we're like looking at certain designs and it's like okay lrm20 how much ammo is it you know how much ammo is there for it okay there's six well obviously you need to have 20 missiles to shoot so we totally misunderstood ammunition 
it wasn't like per salvo. It was this is how many missiles are in there. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like everything short change. Exactly. I know that the Battletech universe is like in the succession wars are like things are tight. But to only mm-hmm. be able to have six missiles in my LRM-20, that seems a little bit extreme. <laughs> right. And um, I mean, there was that. And we eventually figured it out. Thank goodness. But uh, the other thing is Alpha Strike, which I've played Alpha Strike since before it was Alpha Strike. I played when it was called Quick Strike. And it was literally taking the Battle Force units and translating them over to their individual stat lines and playing them individually on a table with like a loose set of rules that was in. Oh, God, I feel, uh, it was in one of the books, but I should know just about everything there is to know about Alpha Strike. And last year, or no, year before last, I was at a tournament, and um, this guy kept dropping his elementals out of helicopters and then putting them back in the helicopters while they were flying, hmm. which I learned later on. I learned, like, the night after that game, I was like, that's kind of weird. Yeah. And that was key to him winning the game. That night, me and my friend were talking about it, and she goes, you know what? No, no, that that's not right. And we looked through the rule book, and I was like, oh, my God, he he he, that was illegal the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't realize it because his whole strategy was built around it, and I didn't realize it. It was like, okay, yeah, they're leaping back up to the helicopter. But it was like, oh, no, no, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's not right. I should know that. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine those are some super skilled elementals in the helicopter pilot, like counterbalancing. Man, right? Those are aces. I mean, they yeah, are they I are mean... in the clan, so of course, of course, they probably steel viper. <laughs> That's probably why it worked out. Yes. <laughs> yeah, steel vipers and uh, nova cats were big into dropping troops, I believe. There you go. Nova Cats tried to show that off at two kid and um that, that didn't work so well when when their dropships got shot down in the process. We we don't talk about Tukiid. <laughs> <laughs> Not in Calgary. All right, well, that's freaking awesome. The ammo one's actually totally relatable. I can totally understand how someone can make that mistake and then other one is crazy and fun. But yeah, I have to ask, really curious about this. If you had the power to retcon one thing in the Battletech universe, anything, what would it be? And why? So if I could retcon anything in the universe, and that, that's a that's a tough one there. A lot of, uh, in my head, the the Blakest era. And yeah, a lot of people would probably lean towards, you know, if they could retcon the Dark Age out of existence or whatever. To me, the Blakest era, if, if I could, I wouldn't remove it from existence or anything, but I feel like it was very heavy-handed in a lot of what they did like there were mercenary units that were accidentally wiped out because um her Baeus had written in one of the books that a nuke went off on this planet and um after some fact checking it was like oh shoot uh i think it was the black thorns oh I'm, i might be wrong they were apparently on that planet according to every canon source at the time <laughs> oh. and it was just like oops <laughs> um we, we killed off the black thorns Sorry about that. You know, it's like, yeah, no, I would I would definitely retcon it and make them have more of a build up um, because it was sprung on us. And yeah, it was supposed to be a secret army and everything. But I feel like by the time it happened, we would have seen far more Blakist influence in things. And there would have been more signs. You know, we have seen things in source books from intelligence agencies about Blakist buildups and weird things that are coming out of there. And and the uh, developers did say, oh, there were clues, 
but the only place you really saw clues were like in some of the Comstar source book and um, stuff like that, where it was like not enough to really give you an idea that, hey, guess what? This faction that's kind of off to the side, they're a superpower. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So they sort of just chucked them in there a little bit, eh? They, it, they kind of shoehorned them in. Slipped them out of the rug. You can understand when you're writing in the Battletech universe, you create this epic story, you nuke a planet. Later, you d dig deep into the lore and you're like, wow, well, the Black Thorns were located there. Well, that's a thorn in my side. <laughs> I wrote something for Shrapnel recently, uh, submitted it. It hasn't been published yet, but the research process was so intense. And, you know, I've written before. It comes relatively natural to me. But the amount of research I had to do, it was like right. three times the amount of research to the writing just to make sure I was fact-checking everything. And like there'd be like a... And I was writing about the Steel Vipers. And so there'd be a piece of mm -hmm. information about them here, a paragraph in a single book. And then I have to go to another book and find another paragraph and just making sure I'm correlating everything and using Sarna and all that stuff. And oh man, that was tough. So I feel for the, for the unintentional purge of the Black Thorns, which are a cool mercenary unit too. I mean, I only know about them actually from the... Um, probably not from the card game. Huh. Their card game ability is it's really it's really cool. It's a unique it's a unique ability. So I'm like, ooh, what's this unit? And they look sort of badass too. And the name Black Thorns, come on. That's cool. Yeah. I do know like with the research thing, when I start digging into stuff, it, it gets really, really interesting. And I like so um the long form videos that text us, I don't know how much research they have to put into that. So, you know, one of the things that I do or I well, I'm sort of semi-retired from it, is the, uh, you mentioned Sarna. When they first started building Sarna, I was, I had decided I was going to work with another wiki called MechWikia, which is still around, but it's not nearly as, as comprehensive. And I was just entering mechs, and I ended up coming on to Sarna as the lead of the uh, mech project to get the initial mechs and everything in. And the amount of research was not as much, thank God. Um, I think at the time Project Phoenix was out. So like the Marauder and the, you know, the classics, it wasn't, there wasn't as much to research, but there still was a lot of stuff to dig into with it. That's one of the things that I'm really proud of. But at the same time, there were hours and hours and hours of writing. And then, you know, we had a team and of course, like, It'd be like, I'd write stuff and then somebody come back and be like, hey, I just caught an error in here from this tech readout or from whatever source. And then I have to go back and re-edit. And it was a pain in the butt. That's one thing that's really amazing about the Battletech community, I think, is the fandom has so many dedicated people that just are willing to write and like critique and spend hours volunteering time. Mm -hmm. Not that it should necessarily be volunteered, but <laughs> but, you know. Like you have all levels of contribution, which I think is it's amazing. Yes, Sarna was my mind. And now that I know you were the lead of the mech team, you know how many times I reference Sarna when I'm trying to find design quirks, like all the time, all the time. Well, what I find really hard when I do, when I do my mech tech segments, I have to not quote myself from Sarna. <laughs> That's funny. So I'm like, I'm like writing up about a mech and usually they're pretty quick little segments, but it's like, okay, I can't say what I said here on this entry because then I'm just repeating what it says on Sarna, which in some cases are my own words. <laughs> That's hilarious. A problem most people don't have. 
the fear of quoting themselves. <laughs> right. I usually like famous philosophers and, you know, <laughs> the, those are the type of people that worry about this. But you you got to the level deep into the Battletech lore. Oh, yeah. No, like I, I've been into... When FASA collapsed, there was a group on Merc. We kept the bat, we kept the game alive for a while on Internet Relay Chat until it was picked up by FanPro, and that was that was like the dark times. Like they talked about a battle, a dark age in BattleTech, and we literally had a dark age in BattleTech after FASA fell. And um, I say fell like it was like it was New Avalon, but <laughs> yeah, after they collapsed and all their mistakes. But yeah, I was through. I was with that, and then I was at the BattleTechUniverse.org, which they're still around, but for a while, uh, when forums were a big thing on the internet, I was in charge of there. They had a technical readout part of the page. There were a few sites that had it, and I was the one that people would submit them, and I would have to manually enter them in the system. Oof. Yeah, so there were like hundreds of, of custom designs that I was just sitting there manually entering all, you know, like, get off work, I'm bored, let me start manually entering this. <laughs> Because it's not like I could take a laptop to work or do stuff on my phone back then, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, so I, I got to see that end of it as it slowly got resurrected and brought back to life by FanPro and Catalyst. And um, it's Battletech, it's been around a while, and it hopefully with the new stuff coming out, the new books, the new uh, the miniatures especially, it's going to, you know, it's going to be around for a long time. My only fear is that like in 15 years, they're going to look at having to refresh the line again if they keep going this route. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, that'll be a pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that we can look that far down the road, though. The fact that I'm 40 now and I've been engaged with Battletech since I was probably 10 to a different degree mm. than you. For sure, like I was much, I was definitely more casual. Like I had the books and technical readouts, you know what I mean? I, the same thing, I tried to make my friends play with me, but they're like, this is too many rules. <laughs> and I'm like, but we're mechs. Mm -hmm. But it's crazy that we can actually say that. It's like, oh man, in 15 years, I sure hope they don't do a reboot. <laughs> right. Or even just like a refresh of all the models, because like you look at games like 40K and, and I want to say War Machine, but War Machine sort of fell on hard times and hasn't really come back. You know, models are constantly getting refreshed in those lines. One of the problems with the game, but it's also one of the most wonderful things about it, is the number of designs, the number of chassis that exist. Because of that plethora of chassis, you can have two people play each other and they have none of the same mechs. And, you know, that's awesome. But at the same time, retailers, for example, like the, the metal, I want to say Ralph Partha, but it's Ironwind Metals, that line is so big that carrying it is, you know, you have like hundreds of different chassis. Whereas with other games, it's like, okay, so you have Space Marine Lieutenant. And in five years, he'll get redone with a different pose and everything else. With us, it's like, yeah, no, refreshing the line is a multi-year project. And um, I mean, I'm not working in there, but I, I know some people who do. That's like a whole multi-year thing where you have to go through and do hundreds and hundreds of different chassis. It's not like tons of the same model on the table, you know? Yeah. And I think that the chassis and the models, how they design, there's such uniqueness built in that just makes it extra challenging in many ways. Like, it's not like they're just, it's, it's easy to regurgitate. There's so much diversity in there and they want things to be unique enough. You know, Marauder, comparison to a Marauder 2. Mm-hmm. 
or Marauder 2C, those three. They're all very distinct looking, despite them being very similar. And then if that evolves further, like how can they, you know, make sure the future Marauder doesn't look like the Marauder 2C now? That sounds like a, sounds like a little bit like hell to me. Oh, yeah. The other thing that, that's interesting, you mentioned the Marauder, Marauder 2C, and, and the Marauder 2. I remember when the Marauder 2 was literally the same miniature as the Marauder with wings glued to the back. I remember that. I didn't know that that was the Marauder 2. I thought that was just a variant of the Marauder. No, that was the Marauder 2. They took the Marauder miniature and put wings on it. And That's hilarious. And that was the Marauder. It was the same size, same everything. You know, it's like if you wanted a Marauder 2, um, I mean, back then magnetization really wasn't a thing. But in theory, you could have magnetized wings onto it and swapped it out for either one, depending on what you wanted. Make it like a transforming mech mid battle. You think <laughs> you're fighting a Marauder? The wings fly in. Marauder 2! All of a sudden I have jump jets! Oh, well, <laughs> that's that's one of the things that I do like is talking about transforming mechs. You have the, uh, the Hell's Horses, I think it was. They have the Quad Vs. and they're the four-legged mechs that can turn into tanks. I've never seen one or played with one on the table. That sounds cool. I haven't played. I haven't played competitively with them because um, I go to Southern Assault every year, which I won that last year. And I went to the first Alpha Strike tournament I went to was in Tennessee. No faction limits, no technology limits, and I took a force that just curb stomped everything. And um, if you listen to Wolfnet, they'll mention that watching that tournament is what made them make their rule set. <laughs> nice and they they reference yeah one cat went in there and just cleaned house and it's like yep that was me i i broke it um <laughs> but the quad v's their really cool trick is i think it's in the movement phase i'd have to check you declare which movement they're using and their height changes depending on which one it is so if you're gonna if you want to hide behind a hill or a level one building in alpha strike because it, it does it instantaneously in alpha strike you go i'm a tank now I'm going to go park behind this building. You can't see me. Wow. And the next turn, you go, I'm a mech. You suddenly pop up and you can shoot over the building, you know? And it's like, yeah, no, this is there. I could see some rule, rule breaking capabilities in here. Some game breaking capabilities if done properly. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Damn. Well, I could clearly talk to you for hours. Oh yeah. I, I could see that. <laughs> Um, but all good things must come to an end. If people haven't heard of your podcast before and they want to find you, they want to listen to you, where should they go? All of the major podcast apps, Apple, I, I want to say I'm on Amazon podcasts, uh, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you'll find a podcast. Just look up Unicorn Company or on YouTube. Um, I do the podcast and I also do review videos on YouTube. I work with Death Ray Designs on reviewing their their terrain and i actually just got the uh new oh god what's it called area of operations uh set and i've been building that and should have that out probably this month Ooh, exciting i gotta get into terrain we've just been using the plane maps and we, we've printed some ourselves but i really i really want to get some of the stuff that's actually professionally designed death ray designs has a set that works on that's called hex city mm-hmm um, it's MDF and it has hex bases on the bottom. I also have that. I need to review that. But they, there's also the, uh, I haven't had a chance to get hold of it yet, the hex tech that Gale Force 9, I think, put out. I've seen the hex tech. That stuff is very interesting to me. And that's all pre painted and everything. You literally take it out of the box, put it down on the table. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Because the thing is, I, I don't like painting. Like, I, you know, I like my painted mix on the table, but the process of painting is not something I enjoy, especially since I've had a kid, because I just feel like it just, you know, painting takes time. We understand this. Oh, yeah. And so I'd rather spend time playing or planning the podcast or something like that. So having painted terrain already, oh my goodness, that's the dream. Oh, there's part of me that wishes Catalyst went the X-Wing route and pre-painted the models. Because I can tell you from having played X-Wing, we would repaint over them anyway, if we wanted to. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that hard to do like Aerodonny Light Horse. They're all green and they have ELH logos. I mean, Mech Warrior did it, right? Yeah, totally. Cool. Well, this has been a true privilege. Thank you for sharing your story with us and the podcast listeners and for honoring me with the time. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really do appreciate it. and. um I've listened to y'all, and so far, I really like what I've heard. Awesome. Well, I truly do appreciate that. Thank you. Especially for from someone as seasoned as you in the community. That really means a lot. Thank you. Cool. Thanks for being here. We'll chat again soon. Alrighty. Well, well, well. That, my fellow mech warriors was a blast. I hope you had as great a time listening as I did chatting with my fellow podcast creators. As a reminder, next month we will be returning to our standard format including the stories of the Intersphere segment, the special surprise. And of course, as promised, we will be reviewing the results of Episode 9's Insert Your Name Here Battletech Favorite Survey, which you actually still have a few weeks to fill out if you haven't already. The survey is linked in the description in case you haven't had a chance to fill it out yet. Remember, if you like what you hear, we appreciate your reviews and you sharing the word with other Battletech fans. Until next time, Mech Warriors, good fortunes on the battlefield. Selah. All podcast objectives complete. Podcast shutdown sequence initiated.